Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast, episode number 165. Lee and Tiffany Lakoski, Mach 10, Velvet Bucks, Standing Corn Ground Blind Tactics, and Tree Hinge Cutting Strategies. Please support our sponsors as they make this show possible. Today's show is sponsored by Morse's Sporting Goods. Big Buck Registry is a virtual museum of hunting stories. We preserve a piece of Americana by interviewing and recording hunters about their hunts and experiences from across the country. And who knows, maybe we'll learn a thing or two along the way that'll help us take our hunt to the next level. Hey guys, this is Dan Bates with Tune In Archery, the Tyneman, and the inventor of the Hang On Helper. You're listening to my favorite show. It's about to be yours. Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. Hi everybody, I'm Michael Waddell with the Bone Collector TV Show, and you're getting ready to listen to another episode of the Big Buck Registry Deer Hunting Podcast. I'm Tim Goff here with Scentlock Enforcer, and you're about ready to push play on my favorite podcast, Big Buck Registry Deer Hunting Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. My name is Jay, and once again, we're back. We're back this week to talk deer hunting, and... I know that you pushed that play button for a reason, and that's to get some of the best deer hunting information that you can possibly get from some of the most well-known and informative and best deer hunters in the world come to this show, and I get to dissect them bit by bit to find out how they do it so that you can do it too. Now, I wanted to explain to you that one of the people that I interviewed a long time ago, who is now the co-host of the show, Dusty Phillips, did exactly that for us with his Chubby Tines buck. And he is joining us once again right here in the studio. Dusty, what's happening? Oh, it's a pleasure to be here, Jay. And man, I tell you, bucks are getting their hard horns exposed. The velvet's dropping off. People are hunting. There's there's all kinds of things going on. The, the weather's changing a little bit. Start seeing some leaves fall to the ground. It's hunting season. So what's the what's the forecast in Ohio, Dusty? What are you seeing? Uh, definitely the crops are real strong this year. The 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 bucks are really slamming the soybeans right now. Uh, just to put that last few inches on, if they're if they're not into the the hard antler yet, we're seeing deer that are losing velvet. But uh, you know it's about a fifty, maybe sixty, forty, fifty, fifty hard antler velvet right now. Um, hopefully the the weather keeps going in the direction it's headed and it's starting to, you know, the humidity is starting to leave and leaves are, you know, they're falling, but they're dry. But uh, starting to see some leaves fall. Just things are happening. Crops are real close to being ready to come off the fields. And once they shell the corn around here, it should get the deer stirred. Gotcha. It sounds like you've been doing your homework. And I have to say that our guests today do their homework too. In fact, they're some of the, the most detail-oriented when it comes to living the whitetail lifestyle like there's they put so much effort into this and we're, we're talking about lee and tiffany lakoski we interviewed them a while back it was one of our early shows and we learned a lot but we realized that we just touched the tip of the iceberg that when it came to what lee actually puts into his efforts and what he thinks about daily and we really really extract a lot from lee in this show 
And we learn so much of his little techniques that he does on that place where he lives and all the things he does all year round. It's going to blow your mind. So you want to stay tuned for all these things that Lee brings to the table. But before we get there, Dusty, let's turn to Jim Keller with the Deer News. For the Big Buck Registry, this is Jim Keller with the Deer News. Our first story, Ted Nugent receives top honor. This story was reported by DeerAndDeerHunting.com. Ted Nugent rocked Springfield, Missouri on September 3rd, but wasn't at an arena on his acclaimed 2016 Sonic Baptism concert tour. This special stop was at the Archery Hall of Fame induction ceremony, where Nugent was honored with the Dave Staples Golden Award of Merit. Named for archery veteran Dave Staples, who was lauded for more than 50 years of involvement in archery and bow hunting, Nugent is the first to receive the award, and it is close to the outdoorsman's heart. I am honored and humbled to the core, said Nugent, upon being introduced by archery icon Dick Mock and M.R. James. The mighty mystical flight of the arrow has guided my spirit straight and true north my entire American dream life. Nugent went on to recognize his personal bow and arrow heroes such as Howard Hill, Ben Pearson, Ishii, and of course the late great Fred Bear. Nugent immortalized Bear in the classic hit by the same name, thus introducing millions of sporters and non-sporters alike to the bow hunting legend. Nugent concluded his segment with a heartfelt performance of Fred Bear for the audience of industry notables. Among other honors, Nugent has been named Archery Commissioner of the Great Lakes State Games, Favorite Hunting Personality by Readers of Outdoor Magazine, Michigan Conservations of the Year, and Top 25 Most Influential by Outdoor Life Magazine. Nugent has also received the James Fenimore Cooper Award for his accomplishments as a writer and for his enormous contribution to the promotion of hunting and the outdoor lifestyle. Toledo Metro Parks Inform Council of Kills. This story was originally written by Ignacio Messina of the Toledo Blade. Metro Parks of Toledo area plans to have sharpshooters kill deer in two more parks this winter following controversial deer kills at Wildwood Preserve Metro Park and Oak Openings Preserve Metro Park earlier this year, officials of the park told Toledo City Council on Tuesday. Deer kills will be conducted in Swan Creek Preserve Metro Park in South Toledo, in Middle Grounds Metro Park, an urban recreation area on 28 acres along the Maumee River near downtown Toledo, said Steve Madwell, Metro Park's executive director. The announcement, which was done as a courtesy to council because its approval is not needed, was met with a barrage of criticism from several councilmen against the plan. Tim Sketter, the park district's natural resources director, said the kills are considered legal population control of the animal, not hunting. He said the deer in the Toledo area have no natural predators to keep their numbers down, other than some coyotes that will kill the animals occasionally. A contract with the Federal Animal and Plant Health Inspection Service, an agency of the U.S. Department of Agriculture, allowed for marksmen to remove up to 200 deer from the two metro parks between January 1st and March 31st. Mr. Scatter said 195 deer were killed at Oak Park openings and Wildwood over four nights by two sharpshooters in each park. About 6,700 pounds of venison from the kills was donated to the homeless shelters. State lawmakers aim to add tracking number to all ammunition. This story was originally featured on the OutdoorHub.com website and was written by Keenan Crow. Courtesy of Chicago Democrat State Rep. Sonia Harper, the idea to have all bullets traced using bullet serial number technology has been resurrected as an attempt to minimize violence in Chicago. Promoting the new law, along with Harper, is the CEO of Ammo Coding Systems, a company that, not surprisingly, makes and promotes bullet tracking technology. State Representative Harper believes that this is the answer to solve the notorious violence problems in Chicago. 
According to a WGN-TV article, Harper stated the following in a press conference, We just want to know how the guns and the bullets are getting in the hands of our youth and causing senseless harm and murder on our streets. These ACS worms have been around for a while, trying to wiggle their way around and push legislation on various state and political politicians, obviously for their profit. Any new law to put individual serial numbers on bullets could potentially create chaos for law-abiding gun owners, causing people to have to fill out paperwork for ammunition the same way you would when purchasing a gun. It would also hike up the cost of ammunition for gun owners. Harper introduced the bill on Tuesday during a press conference. Editorial comment. Before Ms. Harper moves any further with this proposal, maybe she should first determine why a city with some of the most strict gun ownership rules in the United States is experiencing a 12 shootings a day average this summer and quickly moving Chicago to the top of the list for the most murderous cities in the U.S. Seven-year prison term in hunting-related shooting. This story was originally reported by OutdoorNews.com. In Elizabethtown, New York, a North Country man has been sentenced to seven years in prison on charges stemming from the shooting of another hunter nearly two years ago. Sean M. Lavallee of Mariah received the stiff sentence largely because he was prohibited from owning a firearm at the time of the incident and because of the reckless nature of the shooting in which the victim was standing on a trail and wearing a blaze orange hat. Essex County Court Judge Richard B. Meyer sentenced Lavallee last month to seven years in prison on an assault conviction along with three years of post-release supervision and payment of $310 in restitution a $300 surcharge, a crime victim's fee, and a $5,000 fine. An Essex County jury in May found Lavallee guilty of second-degree assault, a felony, and fourth-degree criminal possession of a firearm, a misdemeanor. Lavallee shot 83-year-old Joseph Rodriguez of Mineville in Essex County on December 1, 2014. Rodriguez was struck by the 12-gauge slug in the lower abdomen and hand and required surgeries and rehabilitation. The case was unique in that it was a hunting-related shooting incident in which the victim was wearing blaze orange in the form of a cap. Blaze orange clothing is suggested but not mandatory in New York State, and many hunters in the northern zone of the state don't wear blaze orange. Rodriguez, described as an experienced hunter, was wearing a camouflage vest and the blaze orange hat. He was shot as he stood in the middle of a trail, officials said. Lavallee was represented by the County Public Defender's Office, which described the shooting as a tragic accident. At the time of the incident, Lavallee was prohibited from owning a firearm due to a prior felony conviction. Lavallee was sent to Essex County Jail following the sentence to await a transfer to the state facility. For a link to this story, as well as the other stories in this week's news, please check our show notes on www.bigbuckregistry.com. That concludes this week's edition of the Big Buck Registry's Dear News. If you have any ideas for future topics or have questions about any of these topics, please email me at jim at bigbuckregistry.com. For the Big Buck Registry, this is Jim Keller with the Deer News. Thanks to Jim Keller for the Deer News. Without further ado, here is Lee and Tiffany. Lee and Tiffany, welcome back to the Big Buck Registry's Deer Hunting Podcast. How are you, my friends? Very good. Good to be back. So, how's your life these days now that you have uh, I was a young one? Can you hear the baby crying in the background right now? Definitely. Yeah, yep. grandma's trying to cry on and Yeah. It's, has it changed your life any? Oh, yeah. I mean, anybody who says you have a baby that's not going to change your life, it's just they're full of beings, but definitely. But I mean, you know what? It's changed our life in a good way. Definitely, definitely a better way. I mean, I know it definitely makes us be better people. Is it, is it everything you thought it would be? 
Well, probably, you know, I guess having 20-something nieces and nephews, and I came from a family of seven of us, I had a pretty good idea, but, you know, I guess it's, uh... I think it's more than I thought it would be, to be honest. I think it's, I, I didn't think that I would, you know, of course, I love my husband, I love my parents and everything, and I love my nieces and nephews, but the love I have for our son is totally off the charts, you know, comparatively right. speaking to everything yeah, really else. It sounds like more fun than I thought it was going to be. You know, you know, everyone talks about how much work and it's changing and everything, but boy, just every day you look forward to getting up in the morning to see that little nugget smile at you. <laughs> That's right. It gets you out of bed, and it's a whole different it's a whole different feeling than anything you've ever felt in your whole life. It's, yeah, it's a, exactly. A different level of um, of affection. I, I, you can only describe it when you have a child. It's just well, you know, that's yeah. exactly it. You know, like I said, it's like you love your dogs, you love everything, but and you know, like I'd take a bullet for that kid in oh, two yeah. seconds and not even think twice about it. Right. Right. Exactly. That's exactly the way I've felt about my children as well. Yeah. It's interesting. So you know, so, so now. You have you have a, a child, and you're trying to teach them the ways of the outdoors. What what do you think is going through his head as you try to expose him to all this stuff? Is he just having fun, or is is there are you uh, planting little seeds along the way on how to be a better deer hunter and outdoorsman and things like that? I don't think it's going to be a problem because he's just he's like that exactly the way that I was as a kid. Yeah. But now he's just stubborn and he wants to be outside every day. And we, you put him on a, a ranger and you can go shoot your bow. You can do things for a couple hours. He just wants to sit on the rangers and do and stuff. pretend drive it and stuff. Yeah. You bring him in the house and then it's a little, it's a little rougher. You know, all he wants to do is go outside. So, you know, being only a year and a half, we, you know, and he's been in the blind with us, you know, shot some turkeys, you know, with their bows and blinds and stuff with sure. him. But I think he's all, young to understand the hunting part of it but he sees all the deer and and tv and in our house and i mean he knows all that stuff but you know just the start of it he just wants to be outside just like we are so i mean we're off to a good start with it and i'm i'm nice. sure it'll be the same, same but you know i mean you know the day i came up from the hospital with them it's like i was out for a walk with them like i was like oh my gosh get me out of this inside hospital room you know so i mean that's our life, you know, it's like we shed hunt with him. Everything we do that we're able to take him on, he comes on. So, I mean, he's just a natural extension of everything that we do. So, I mean, to think that he's not going to like being outside is yeah, it's crazy. Just, just this afternoon, it's that four hours with him at that ranger checking checking cameras and feeders. And, you know, we're only home for a few days. I got to check all the fields and see how everything's looking and what disasters I got to try to take care of and stuff. But he doesn't make, you know, it doesn't make a peep in that thing for four hours as long as we're moving and out doing stuff in outside in the ranger he's great yeah it's when you sit there. still it's it's another thing so trying to take him out hunting with us might be a little interesting this year but we're definitely going to try yeah well you have to yeah, yeah you have to have oh, to yeah. get him get him out there and see what what he does and it's uh i think the more you expose him the better off they'll be down the road and they'll just be part of their life then being outside and then they'll pass that I along to other you- generations yeah, and I can promise you he's not going to be the type of kid that sits inside and looks on Instagram and yeah, things like that. Yeah, games. plays video games. That's not going right. to be camera. Right, exactly. And we have this ongoing discussion about social media and Instagram. I guess, well, of course, that's part of social media. But the whole social media thing and how kids are looking at things on social media. They're watching YouTube videos of other kids playing video games, which to me is the ultimate in lazy. Um, but it's, it's just... 
So you you I didn't even know that existed. Swear to God, and there's some of the most largely downloaded videos on the internet is watching other people play video games, and it, it blows my mind. I can't get my head around it. We've discussed it ad nauseum, and yeah, I'm kidding. It's very strange. But they definitely do not have enough to do because I can't ever imagine doing that. First of all, we don't have the internet strength to actually get away with doing something like that, so I would lose interest immediately, but I can't even fathom that. No. I to me, that's just a babysitter. It's like that's just a parent not having time to do stuff with their kids, and, right. and I get it. You know, it's hard sometimes, you know, but I, I can't imagine doing that. Did you? Did either of you have video games growing up when you were kids? Heck yeah, but we never played them. We could only play with Raid. We, well, I mean, we're old here, so it's like when we have the Atari. <laughs> yeah, I had Atari Pong. And yeah. More of that and messing me outside. But. Yeah, and then uh. we had, I think we had Nintendo, maybe. Okay. One, but, you know, I mean, even when we were a little older, I mean, some of the, like, the Wii's and stuff kind of started to come around. But, you know, even my parents were always pretty strict that you got to play it when it rained or something like that. But, you, boy, our butts were kicked outside every day. Right, exactly. We it was something you did when you've exhausted yourself on everything else. That, yeah, that was physical, and this was just like, all right, I've got five minutes before dinner. I'll just see what this is all about. Yeah, we never were allowed to play right. it too often. Right, gotcha. Yeah. So, what what do you plan on, or what do you do this time of year? It's it's early September, and the summer has gone by. What what has transpired for you on your farms where you're planning to hunt in the fall? What kinds of things have you developed so far? Well, most of the work is is done now. I mean, it, it you know, every single day at your home, it's something you're planting and plant everything from trees, all your food pots, and there is it's not like you just go in the spring and plant your food pots and you're done. You know, we've got I've got 140 something fields now that I do in food pots, and it's like 500 acres worth. So, you know, you try to get the corn and beans and clover and alfalfa in in the spring, and then you, you plant until you get to June 15th, and that's my drop-dead date for, for corn. You can't, it's too late for corn. You know, you can still do beans some after that, but it's like, you know, they're not going to be great. So then I switch over, okay, let's start fertilizing, let's start getting everything ready for all of our, like our rack radish stuff. It's all like our radish and, and turnips and those kind of fields. So the month of June, you're getting all those ready, fertilized getting them dissed up and everything else about the middle of July, I start planting, planting those. And then, you know, once I'm done with those, I, I don't let planting those into August, maybe the first couple of days of August, but then I cut that off. And then you start doing the same, getting fertilized and everything for all our winter wheat fields and stuff. So it's, it's not you plant once and you're done. It's the entire summer to try to get everything done. And then I'm just like, now, normally we're not even home at this time of year. It just worked out that I had a couple of days at home uh, and, you know, because we you normally we're out on the road, we don't come back. But we had a couple, I had a sheep hunt in the Yukon and a hunt for muskox in Greenland. So we had to fly to those. So now we'd come back and hop on our bus on Friday and we'll head out west, you know, for mule deer and elk and antelope and all that to finish it up, you know, before we get back. So normally you got to have everything done by the time we leave, like the middle of August. And then, uh, you know, you just hope, hope that there is no disasters left over. You come back, but you know, you just at least every farmer makes sure we got some good solid food plots. If something doesn't make it or, or something that you know, it's not the end of the world if one of them doesn't come in. As long as I got you know, before I leave, I make sure that every farm has got good food on it. Uh, you know, and it, you know, we spend a off time putting in apple trees and pear trees and all that kind of stuff and feeders and cameras. And so, even though I may not have everything done when we leave, I have enough on every farm to be satisfied with hey there's plenty of food there everything's looking great you know that 
I can feel good about leaving and going hunting on the road. And then when I get back, I, you know, I'll just kind of pick up the pieces when we get back. Gotcha. So it's, it's, it's a ton of work. It's a, but I mean, love it, but it's a, it's a, you know, it's never done. That's for sure. What, what are some of the, of the disasters that could occur? Well, like for me, my disasters are somebody doesn't check a field. Like I say, I have a bunch of disasters right now stuff that I planted right. in, you know, turnips and stuff. And not that they're disasters. They're still like the turnips and rape are coming in good. But we've had so much rain and heat here in That's August. Awesome. Yeah, it's great, but you don't, that's normally not the case. Mm. So now I get back and I go and look at some of these and you got, you know, weeds or foxtail that's four foot tall in there. You're like, oh my gosh, you know, they got to get out there and take care of that. Normally you wouldn't have that kind of moisture and heat in, in August. So that's, you know, when you plant them in July, you normally that's your dry period. So you're hopefully you get a little bit of rain on your turnips and rape and they come up good. And, you know, the, the, cool season grasses are normally done growing the foxtail and all stuff. You don't have a, a weedy mess. So, but now with all this rain and stuff, our clover fields have weeds growing up in them and turnips and everything. So you're out there trying to spray them all with, you know, select max and kill all the foxtail off of them. And then just so when we get out hunting over them, I want them to look beautiful and, and perfect. And, and not that they necessarily even need to be, but I'm just super anal about them that way. I want everything to look like a green lush carpet when i'm out hunting over the stuff i don't like having a field full of weeds in it right gotcha that's that's uh i guess you create your own problems in a sense and you never really know what nature's going to provide so you have to kind of exactly be ready gotcha. yeah and i planted some of those fields like turnips and rape stuff earlier than than i probably should i've started them in the first part of july and you know but you get you know, my last one that planted the first week in august so you know, you kind of spread them out over the month and you hope, you know, if it turns off super dry, you know, late, you hope, well, maybe the first ones, you know, are going to do okay. And if it's super wet, you hope that, well, the first ones might be real weedy, but the last one should do good. So you kind of spread everything out and you just kind of hope to play the averages and you hope that, you know, you don't have too many disasters. And not that they're disasters, they're still food numb, you know, but weeds just suck up the nutrients. They take a lot of your fertilizer out so you don't get, you know, the healthy plants that you that you would without them, so you just try to kill them off and everything. Plus, you lift all that foxtail, go to seed. You don't do anything about it; it all seeds out next year. You know, you have two hundred billion more uh, foxtail plants coming up, so you just try to stay ahead of all that stuff. But it's it's tough. <laughs> I would think it'd be tough just being a farmer, uh, and you're how, how many people do you have trying to maintain the acreage that Not you do? Enough. Not enough. Yeah. Well, well, let's. I, I'll say. Fifty percent of them are on this phone call right now. <laughs> All right, that's different. I got two guys that you know work for the base. You know, Mike films and drives the bus and does the stuff, and uh, Matt does most of our row crop stuff and yeah. helps with some of the. And then stuff, there's a but, camera, and I'm pretty. You know, it's like, yeah, Tiffany's time is limited now. It's kind of hard to be mowing and stuff all the time, and now that's sure. kind of cut down. So really, you know, basically three of us, and uh, you know, and we have you know. Uh, 500 acres of row crop stuff that we have to do too. And there's GRP paperwork and all that kind of stuff that, you know, there's a lot that goes into it. Well, and then just all of our regular appearances and our sponsor obligations and our show stuff and everything else. It gets to be a lot sometimes. Oh yeah. It's, it's overwhelming. You talk me off the cliff half the day. <laughs> you drive, I could get home from two weeks and you drive around and there's trees over fences and fences are down and neighbors cows in your place. And it's just some days, you know, it's just that absolute, fire drill trying to get stuff done you're like oh my gosh i just yeah sometimes you're just overwhelmed but uh 
you know, we always get through it. Do, do you ever, so you, it sounds like you, on occasion you, you'll feel stressed out um, at the end of the day. Oh, a lot of times. Okay. A lot of times. Yeah. And it's, uh, yeah. you just have to kind of put it behind you and, and go on the next day, I would imagine. Yeah. I mean, it's like this morning I saw Tiffany as I had like, all right, I got to pick something and do it because I had, you know, 50 things. And every time I look at my phone, there's a new thing that comes up. Hey, can you do this? This time, can you do that? Can you can you make this appearance when you need somebody needs to come off and they make it on the twenty third again? This phone calls me tomorrow, and pretty soon I'm ahead of just been. I was like, all right, I gotta fix something because I got fifty things going here right now, and I'm getting zero done. So I'm just going out. I'm gonna go and complete something before I get to the next one because see, like the you know, the longer a day goes by, I work in double if I pick up my phone and look at it. Definitely, because he kind of creates his own stress in all honesty because it's like he cannot stand not to be doing anything. And so he's got an opportunity to potentially go on a shoot hunt at the end of September. And I'm like, why don't you just stay home and just clean up all your stuff, get everything organized? He's like, heck no, you know? So, I mean, like I said, he kind of creates his own his own craziness. Yeah. He loves every second of it. Yeah, I'm not I'm not happy if I'm not going Mach 10 with my hair on fire. But, uh, you know, I guess that's what I've been used to for 15 years since we, you know, moved here and stuff. I sit still for five minutes and I would go stir crazy. Gotcha. All right. What well, do you do? Any kind of deer monitoring? Well, we watch them throughout the summer, and actually, they're tipping my phone right now. I just like right because uh, I got my cell cameras out, so I got some of my places where I got my biggest deer that I've been watching. Stuff up. You know, you don't know. I mean, you don't know where big ones are going to show up. But by this time of year, I know where there's several of them. So I got you know cell cameras on those, so I don't have to. Even when I'm on the road, it'll pop up on my phone. I can check it and see how the deer are doing and stuff. But as far as like you know buck to doe ratios and numbers and all that. I don't really pay any attention to that this time of year. I just want as many deer on our place as I possibly can. You know, even there's, there's we got farms right now. There's just tons of does, hardly any bucks, just some little ones, but that's all right. You know, as soon as rut comes around or crops start coming down, if I have the does, I'll have the buck. But, you know, we, you know, I, I usually know what, what bucks are here now. And I know which ones should be here that were here last year that aren't yet. And a lot of them will show up and some of them never will. But, you know, I kind of leave it to, hunting season we got so much work to do in the summertime that i'm just i'm always checking cameras i kind of i haven't i you know i know what bucks are around and all that kind of stuff but not as much as like you know buck to doe ratios or anything i leave that for hunting season okay you know then i'll look at you know all that kind of stuff as i'm sitting out hunting and then here in iowa we have a late doe season that uh after our regular season so if there's some you know farms that their buck to doe ratio is way off after the season i can go and start harvesting a bunch of does and things and, and and kind of try to even things up, but I haven't had to for several years with the EHD we've had over the last four years. We haven't shot a doe in four years, really, because the, the numbers are just have got knocked so down so far. I want to build it back up as fast as I can. Gotcha. All right. So there's there's uh, Mother Nature has taken care of that aspect of things as well. So you're yeah you've laid off yeah. a little bit. All right. Lee, Lee and myself see eye to eye about straight rows and having everything buttoned up, looking good when you leave out of the field. So we'll get along great. Exactly. But uh, this this a touch base a little bit. Like say okay, say you guys leave some corn standing. Let's get in. Let's touch a little bit based on like a standing cornfield. How how much acreage do you leave? And when you start mowing, how much do you mow down at a time? I leave as much as I as much as I can. You know, I mean, a lot of times you think, well, ten acres that's that's way too much, but it's not. We we never have any left over. No matter how much we leave, it's always gone before the end of shed season. I mean, we never, I don't think, ever have gotten to 
okay, it's starting to green up and there's, you know, man, there's tons of corn left in that field, you know, you know, I can go into beans. I'm going to have tons of regrowth corn. I'm going to have to spray and stuff. You know, how do you ever get that? Um, and, and basically because you just, you'll bring in way more deer. I mean, if you have, if you have five acres, you know, they'll wipe it out. If you have 10 acres, they'll wipe it out. If you have 20 acres, they'll wipe it out. Cause it just, it's amazing that how much, you know, 200 deer in a field can eat, but that's what I like. I mean, I, I want to bring all those deer in, you know, and, and they don't live there. They're, you know, you're bringing in deer from five miles around, you know, that those numbers just grow exponentially you know, as each year goes by, you know, all the funds that are there now, they'll, they, you know, they ate there, but then they get kicked out by, by the dough, you know, and during the year. And so they may be living on the neighbors, but when it gets cold and late season, they remember where they ate as fawns, and then they come back. And then, you know, they're bringing their fawns. It just grows exponentially. And it's nice to, to have all those there because you kind of do one chance to take a look at all your neighbor's bucks and you get the sheds off them. And then if you got your neighbor's bucks there, uh, if I can, if I, see if I can hold them there for like three months, like almost go green up, a lot of them will stay. And that's like the one time I can relocate them. So I'll leave as much corn as I, as I have room for. I mean, like one, we just bought, uh, um, a buddy and I bought a place. It's like 350 acres and there's some, the guy had already planted some food plots, the previous owner. And there's like, you know, the cornfields, there may be three or four acres. And to me, that's too small. You know, that it won't, if you were to mow that whole four acres down, it would likely be gone in two weeks, maybe it might last. But then there's a big piece that's not in CRP, that's just grass. It's because the guy just had small equipment. You know, like most people, like did their food plot stuff, they might have a little you know, 20 horse Kubota tractor and a little disc. And, you know, to do a, a five acres of corn is a, is a pretty big task if you have a little tiny equipment. Right. From that, that big piece of grass up on top, and say, I say, I can go push some of these little cedar trees and, and brush out of there, and I can probably get 15 right in the middle. And I say, well, that's a good start. It's not going to be what I would consider enough on that farm. Um, but we just got another piece. I actually am the, uh, in Missouri that butts up to it because this farm butts up to Missouri, and that place got like 70 acres of row crops. I said, well, that's perfect. Then I can leave 20 there if I want to. You know, so I'll make it, you know, enough, but I'd like to have like 10 to 15 acre corn and bean fields, at least one, if not three or four uh, on, on each farm. It just, you know, we, we can bring in enough deer that you'll never really have too much. And maybe you'll have 80 acres or something, but usually I like, you know, if I can get them like that 10 to 15, you know, and, and several of those, two or three of those on a farm, you know, that really brings a lot of deer in lots of, you know, where I'll have really good numbers and then I can get a good look at all the neighboring bucks. You know, if there's a big one anywhere within five miles, he'd normally end up on our place in the wintertime. So at least, okay, I can get the sheds, number one. And, and then, you know, you get a real big one. Sometimes we've had, you know, 200-inch deer move in late season after the season and say, okay, well, then I just make sure there's food there. You know, we can have feeders, not during hunting season, but after. So I'll put feeders there. I'll get all my alfalfa fields and clover fields that I have. I bail all that up hang on to it so in the wintertime I can put out bales as well as corn to so make sure they have roughage and not just corn so it's still you know they it works in their digestive system it's not just straight corn that runs right through them they need that roughage so I throw out all the alfalfa bales and so if I can keep that food there for those deer and I keep them there like we're up to green up a lot of those bucks will stay and if they don't stay they always are coming back you know during the season and one that just showed up in January or February one year the next year bang you know soon you hit late October and get around Halloween, bang, they're coming in checking for does. They they knew they, they saw there was five hundred does on that, that place, you know, three six months ago. So normally I'll always get them 
they don't relocate them. They're always coming back in and, and, and checking for does and you slowly bring them over. So, you know, it's, uh, you try as much as you can. I know everybody can't do that. But then when we do, when we mow it, like I'll, I'll mow it, I'll just mow, you know, two, three acres. Because if you mow, if you mow the whole thing, they just eat it twice as fast because those deer will not go into the standing corn until all the corn is off the ground. So you just mow a few acres and, you know, so you hold them all in a small area, kind of where you want them. Um, so you can kind of put those deer wherever you want to. You know, if you have a stand, okay, this is good for northwest wind, perfect. Okay, I cut a piece that's good for northwest wind if that's your predominant wind. So you can kind of hold them right in that piece. And when it runs out, then they'll start going into the standing corn, and that doesn't help you much. You can't see them in there. So then you just mow another piece, you know, but you, once they start walking into the standing corn, then you know you're out. And so you just cut a little bit more. And, you know, usually an acre or two at a time. Sort of cut. What what's what's the odds of this strategy? Is it can you can you give me a percentage on the success rate of of having that many acres of standing corn mowing down particular farms? What what's the success rate on the kill ratio? Well, I can put it this way: I'd say the first thirty or first twenty years of my hunting career, I probably shot three, maybe three one seventy plus bucks in my first twenty five thirty years of, of hunting, and since. You know, we moved down here and started doing this. I've shot at least one over 170 every year for the last 15 years, and sometimes two and three in a year. Um, so as far as I'm concerned, Tiffany and I have both shot giants every year since we've started doing this. So I'd say it's 100%. I mean, okay, that, that for us, because, because we've got time to hunt, too. And I, there's, you know, it, it'd be different if we had, you know, a normal job where, you, okay, I got I can hunt the weekends or get a one week off here. I mean, we got... We got from October 1st to January 10th to hunt every single day. So that's a big factor in it, too, that, you know, you got time. I mean, we, we probably put more time in a tree stand than I did in 10 years, you know, before. You know, I probably put 10 years worth of hunting in one season. So a lot of it is time, but strategy that we have with the food and that it's it's 100%. I mean, it's been 100% for me. It's been 100% for Tiffany. It's been 100% for my buddy Tom, who's a partner. It's been, I mean, there's very few people who, you know, come down and hunt, um, you know, that are my, our partners that, you know, come down and put enough time in. They come in late season when, you know, it's cold and you have corn fields and bean fields are really working to your advantage. There is basically almost 100%. Yeah, it just makes sense, though. You know, and hearing it from you just, just puts more grasp on it, you know, just it really makes you yeah. focus on the Yeah, you know, I never really thought about it that way. Until nobody's ever asked me that before, but now I start thinking about it. It's like, yeah, it is. I mean, it, it's a hundred percent, but the thing is, it's just not everyone can do it. I mean, we're just in such a, we're just so blessed to be in the position that, you know, I can, I can do that. You know, I, a lot of the farmers around here are like, man, you're crazy. You leave all that for a deer. And they're like, well, hey, you do it for cows and you sell your cows and make money. I make money off a TV show. Same thing. <laughs> right. You know, yeah, not, it not, totally makes sense. But, people, you know, in their mind, it's, it's that, not though. making sense, you know? Yeah. It just, it's, it's the same process. And you're exactly. You're, you're feeding the livestock is just a different livestock on the other side of the fence. Exactly. But, it, so, it but you know, like, I understand that not everyone can do that. You know, even if you had all the money in the world, and that one makes sense to spend, you know, they would easy. You're going to spend $200,000 on food pot, but you, you could just go do 10 awesome hunts and you, you know, for that, you know, but for us, we're kind of in a unique situation that it is our business. And, and, you know, I gotta have, you know, you got to have enough deer because there's like five of us that own the property and stuff. So, you know, and a lot of like, it's just me and one of my buddies and, and two of Tiffany's cousins, but now all of them have kids and wives and stuff that come down. So, I mean, it's, 
to the point where there's quite a few people that you gotta, I gotta, for me, I gotta make sure that my part of the deal is that I make sure food plots are in, stands are up and they come down and they go out and have a great time hunting. So, you know, it takes a lot and uh, takes a lot of different fields and very careful planning as far as, you know, the strategy on not putting too much pressure on anything. You know, you'll hear that from people, oh, if I hunted a man's place and no pressure, no pressure, we hunt every single day. That's what what piece of public property even gets hunted every single day. So we have to be so careful on how we hunt it and where we hunt it and how, how we, you know, do things that everybody can be successful and that we not every one of our big deer is living over on our neighbors. So, you know, it's a lot of strategy that goes into it too. You know, it's a lot of food, but there's a lot of strategy and how you hunt it and when you hunt it and, and all that kind of stuff too because there's, it's a ton of pressure. Let's face it. People think, oh, yeah, you fucking hunt in your place. Well, there isn't a hard, but there's not many farms anywhere that get hunted as much as ours do. Right. It's just uh, being smart about your tactics of going in and out and setting it up. Mm-hmm. Getting yep. into a little bit of like ground blind placement on the, uh, on the cut corn. Is that, is that something that you put the ground blind into the standing corn? Or do you try to yeah, I mean, of it? Or tell us a little bit about what you do to set that up. Yeah, I mean, we have stands in places, but the best way to do it is, you know, put that ground blind to so we're so successful. They'll put them right in the standing corn. Um, you can hide them in there. You can get in and out. That's the one time you can get in and out every time with deer in the field, never spooking anything. And that's the, you know, I you look at it, like for us here, it's predominantly northwest wind, but that's not always the case. I mean, you have south winds and, and and stuff, you know, quite a bit too, especially these last few years when it's been warm. So I actually plant the fields for particular winds. You know, a lot of times we'll, we'll go out to spray it and, you know, we spray everything ourselves now, but when we used to have those, the co-op do it, like, what in the world are you doing? You know, I, I, the rows would be all goofy angles and everything. So, well, it's because when I cut it and, you know, I want to, you don't want to be looking down the rows when you cut it and have a blind there because then they really see a big thing there. So you want to, you know, you, you got to have your rows and which way you think the wind is going to be which isn't necessarily always the way the field lays. So, you know, you got little, you know, short runs of corn and stuff where it could be, it might be so easy to plant it the other way. But I would just plant it so the rows are you know, perpendicular to the, the wind. So you can put your, you know, you, you knock out a couple of rows, leave the front one standing, put a ground blind in. So if you stand out there, you don't want to, you never see anything. I'll see the wall of corn. Okay, well, now you got to be able to shoot and stuff. So you need to knock out the little holes you know, for the shoot out of, and then you take all the stocks and stuff and put them all over the blind and stuff. So, it's, you know, they see the kind of the black holes there, but the deer will always, they get used to that in like two days. You actually go in, and when you plant this, you don't plant it just like a square up field. You lay it out to, to be able to hunt it. Yeah, for which wins. And so, like, on each farm, you'll have maybe two cornfields. Down. Okay, I'm planting this one for north winds and this one for south winds, so I can always hunt it. But it, it is nice, and then, you know, then a lot of times I'll leave a, you know, a wide row right down the middle of it, too, you know, instead of having, you know, you're trying to do everything on a 30-inch row, okay, I'm going to skip a row and do a 60, and, that, and that's the one I'm going to walk in and out of. Makes so you sense. come to the edge of the field, you know, John, you have 10 acres of standing corn, you maybe have a half an acre of cut width at the other end, right. so you can walk down that 60-inch you know, row without you getting in there quiet and come in, tuck in right in the back of that, and if you deer and turkeys in the field, you walk down, sneak into that without them ever knowing you're there, and when you get out, it's the same thing. You're walking, you know, the six, seven hundred yards out, out the cornfield at the other end and deer that are in that piece that you cut never know you were there. So the one time like talking about the pressure, you can hunt those like every single day because nothing will ever know you're there if the wind is right. That sounds it, like a, a beautiful right setup. 
Let me ask you yeah. how much uh, how much grief did co-op give you when you when they sprayed and you planted like that? <laughs> well, lots of you know, they you know they're doing it when it was when it was short, so I didn't cut across it. You know, they don't have to because you're trying to turn a 120 foot booms around on something that's not even part of that wide. But you know, so I, we spray it all ourselves now. It's like and then nobody gives me flack about it. Yeah, you plant yeah, I, it. I, I, which, I can only imagine. Which way the winds are going to be? Yeah, which way the winds are going to be? The way you plant it, not which way the field lies easier. Right. I, if I was a co-op guy that was running a custom spray outfit for co-op, I'd pull. I'd pull in a place like that. Like, I tell you, this guy's got a long way to go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because I mean, you have, you have a field that's you know two hundred yards wide and right. a mile long, but you plant it all the short way. You're like, why wouldn't you do five <laughs> passes with a twelve foot? planner up and down you'd right. be done in 10 minutes instead of spending half a day doing them all sideways well because that's the way the wind is going to come right down this thing and if i'm if looking down the rows i can't sneak down the rows to come into the thing and you can't you know you're blind to look like a you know a giant blob when it can look down the rows. i need the rows to be sideways you know wind is perpendicular to them um to the to the rows so it's a hassle and tough to do but if, when you're hunting it it certainly helps yeah, I'd say between the farmer and the co-op guys, you're probably probably not on their favorite list. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Do it myself now. You know, we got our own sprayers and everything. Now we do it ourselves because it, you know a lot of times even on that, you know, since it wasn't like a 200 acre square field they go run and we were always kind of last on the list. But, you know, when they got all the big farming stuff done, and okay, we can get over there. But that time, the, you know, the weeds were so tall that it, you know already zapped all your fertilizer out and and everything so that we need to do it ourselves so we got everything from four-wheeler sprayers to ranger sprayers to bow behind sprayers to big sprayers i got something for every size field and everything now so oh it's just something you gotta have if you're going to do it on the caliber that you guys are doing the agricultural side as far as the food plots and all that you you've got to have multi-tools no doubt about yeah oh yeah pulling an acre field with a with a 24 row corn planter just don't work out yeah yeah, so we've got everything from four row planters up to twelves and then you know, and then from drills, from seven foot drills to fifteen foot drills. Um, you know, kinda of over the years just to keep, you know, acquiring a little, little bit every year and fifteen years you look over our barns and stuff, you go, holy cow, we got a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, but uh, that's all stuff that you use, there's no doubt about that. Yeah. As far as your soybeans, you just plant them normal. Is there any particular brand or that's got a better height for you know taller beans or anything that you look for? Well, most of it I've just been doing um, just regular beans, but uh, you know, just our pioneer beans, and they, you know, those guys are really good to work with. You know, I'll tell them, hey, I need, I don't want these to shatter. You know, I want them to, you know, I want them, I want them to fall out of the pod. Pod, you know, early on the hole as long, so they have different varieties that that you know. It's okay, these ones will hold, you know, in the pods way longer and stuff. And I've used like eagle beans in the past and, you know, I still do once in a while, like on some of our smaller fields um, that don't have great soil and have a lot of deer pressure. A lot of, we have some fields, like it's a 17 acre field. I can't, I just decided this year I can't plant beans in there anymore because there's so many deer in there that they'll never come up more than five inches tall, no matter how, what kind of fertilizer, what kind of anything, you know, what you do to it, it just won't, you can't do it. And so, is too fast for them. Yeah, and so like I, I did that in eagle beans one year, and it came up so it looked like about a normal bean field. Look, I got up to maybe a, you know two feet tall, maybe, but the yeah. pots are so small, you know, compared to regular ones and little beans that they ate it up so fast. And that's just like you know, you see those eagle beans in some place. I mean, they're eight feet tall. Well, mine, I got a foot and a half. So 
I mean, if you have places that get some pressure and are smaller, um, like Eagle Beans, are, those can really be good, you know, to actually get some tonnage out of it. But for me, it's just I have other places to put them in. So if, if it's too small or too much deer pressure, I'll just do corn, and then I'll switch over. To, I'll do like two years in a row of corn, and then I'll switch over to turnips or you know, brassica mix stuff, and then go back to corn. Gotcha. You, just, you just can't do it. What's the what's the rotation on your crop fields? Do you try to turn them every year, or are you back to back corn? You worry about disease. What do you do there? Yeah, I know. I always just I always rotate them corn beans. I mean, there's like there's a few times that I'll do back to back corn. Um, not very often, but like in that field I'm talking about, I'll do that too. But then you know, you talk to guys at Pioneer, they'll have okay. Here's the variety you're gonna want for that. Here's the herbicides you're gonna want to use for that. Just to make sure you don't you know start damaging your soil or or you know or anything so they're real good i mean the guys at pioneer for us have just been awesome to work with you know we tell them what we want to do it's like, okay you know if you want to put beans back to back that's gonna it's not good we don't recommend it but if you're gonna if you have to do it here's the varieties you're gonna want here's you know what you're gonna want to do for that so you know people you need to plant stuff you know you see some farmers around doing beans eight years in a row and it's like well you can do it. It's probably not good for your soil and everything. And I like to keep mine as good as I can. So we usually rotate everything, except for just those rare cases. We might do, you know, back to back corn just because I can't get beans in there, and then go to turnips and stuff. And the corn, I mean, all of it works so great, but the corn is just nice that you can on some of those bigger fields. If it's beans, all you can do is hunt tree stands on the edges, and you know, you got a 15 acre field to get that deer, you know, 50 yards from you isn't always that easy. But, you know, with corn, you know, you can, with the ground blinds in the corn, you can really be hunting them wherever you want. So it makes it a lot easier with corn. So, you know, that's why we try to, you know, I really like the corn because on those bigger fields, you can do it. But we've done, there's other things we've done on those big fields to, to get a deer in front of you too and beans by putting rubbing posts out there and stuff. And I'll go like down that whole edge and cut all the licking branches off where they make scrapes. And then I'll put a rubbing post out in front of the stand at 30 yards and take those branches that we cut down and put those on that rubbing post and just so like that whole side there's no place for them to rub on or you know no licking branches anything so you can get them to come over even in a big field and they'll come over that rubbing post hit that hit that licking branch over over that you, you, you really there's things you can do to to get them you know within bow range on those big fields too but you know corn is always a guarantee with the ground blind you can get you can you can put them right where you want them yeah this makes sense leah it's amazing the information that that uh, you like a rolodex of a farmer, a deer hunter, yeah. <laughs> a biologist. Not all are you educated, but you're 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 putting things to the ground. If that makes sense. Um, yeah. Well, you know, the thing is, like for like fifteen when I moved down here, I never even been on a tractor. I didn't know the first thing about any of it. So it was a big learning curve. But if you you know. 24 7 365 days a year for 15 years i mean i could have in that 15 years i could be a brain surgeon by now too but <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you spend that much time and effort and learning stuff you you pick stuff up along the way but it's true though i mean i you know i there's no bigger fan of hunting and deer and stuff than i am and still am like tiffany was just on me about today she was like <laughs> Maybe if I had horns, you'd pay more attention to be all <laughs> them out doings of all the time. But I, I uh, that's yeah, that's a true story. I got the text on mine about two hours ago. It's, it's got to uh, play. It's, it's got to play a role, yeah. and you know, your focal point this time of year, Lee. I, I, and I can understand where Tiffany's coming from, also. But you know, your focal point is on what pays your bills, in a sense. You know, the, the yeah, hunting and 
and it's a huge factor in your well, life. It's your livelihood. If you didn't pay uh, our bills, he could care less. He did this well. He did that well before we were ever making a dime. Off the video. <laughs> it's a good excuse for me, though. You know, hey, it's our living, and it is. But I would be doing it whether it was or not. But you know, like I said, everything people would ask about. You know, how does a flash camera compare to an infrared? If there's any things that I want to know, I have live cameras I can sit and watch it on my TV. So I put, I, I've done, I put all that, put different cameras on it, see how they react to cameras and, and all that stuff. So I mean, but anything that you, that you could ask, I mean that's. Well, we go. We've been doing seminars now for 15 years. So I said, we just do a question and answer. What do you guys want to talk about? You know, to be honest, with you, there's not probably not that many people that could do that because they probably get questions that they don't know. You know, oh, yeah, but for me, I, I feel pretty confident. You can ask me anything about anything, and I've thought about it, and I've done it, and I've tried it, and I've thought, it, looked at it, and experimented with it. There's probably not. I don't think there's a single question I've ever gotten stumped on in 15 years. I could just say, I don't know. Yeah, don't ask me any of that kind of stuff. <laughs> what was she saying not to ask you? When's our anniversary? <laughs> oh, gotcha. Yeah, we'll leave that. We'll leave that subject alone. I bet you tell when the deer's going. He's going. He could probably tell us the date the deer's going to drop your velvet, but he can't tell us his anniversary. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they just started. They yeah. just started. We're not yeah. going to step on that snake pit. No way. Yeah, that we'll leave that alone. Yeah. Tiffany's trying to get my, us. My, my number one hit list deer that I'm going to look. That I'm looking for right now for this year. Uh, he just he just shed we last. He did, he just shed last night. No kidding. So does he got a I name? Big brow tine. Oh. Well, I call him the big brow tine deer. He's on one of my farms. Got just giant brow tines. I mean, and they're they were always split. I've got triple on one side. At one side, probably got twenty inches of brow tine on it. Wow. Um. And we probably have higher scoring deer because his it's a ten point mainframe, and it you know they're not super long tined or any, anything like that. And he's probably we probably have higher scoring deer, but I've just been watching him since he was two over there. Even when he was two year old, it was like man, look at the big brows on that thing. So you know, two and three and four and five. Now that you know we've passed him, I've seen him and had encounters with him. And man, that thing is so cool. Those brows are so awesome. And now they're fully mature and he's five, and you know those brows are. I mean, if you put him up on a wall with it next to a 200-inch deer, I mean, your eye would be drawn to this thing. Because, I mean, he's, well, I mean, he's probably got, it wouldn't surprise me if he's got 180 inches on him. But uh, those brows are just incredible. I mean, they're like 15 inches each, and then plus they're split. With, it has like another 8 inches on the split, and now the one side's got a third one going off the back. So I wouldn't be surprised if that one, his right brow tie, has got 20 inches total on just one brow tie. What what He's buck is cool. Tiffany after this year? PD, I would have say. a buck named PD that I had an encounter with last year that Lee made me pass up from Kodiak bear hunting. I'm like, Lee, can I shoot this buck? He's like, no. I'm like, come on. <laughs> yeah, he was five last year, and I just didn't know if he was, you know, I just thought he had, well, he had these big ribs on the inside, and last year he put a big extra point in there. And I was like, well, maybe if you left him another year to six, maybe that rib on the other side, he put that big extra point in there. But he did, he put a little point off of it this year, but. He, he was actually probably was almost 180 inches last year. The one shed with that, the inside point was like 90, was, was 90 inches. And he was, you know, five years old. And now it's been going out of like year. So, 30 yards. Yeah, he was another an hour at 30 yards. So she was a little sore at me about that one. All right, well, not, he's, he's bigger this year. He's not, you know, a ton bigger, but he's bigger. And he's got more mass. And he's got more height. And he's got, it's funny because that big inside point went off in between his two and three last year. And now it goes between his three and four. Um, you know, it's moved down one, and then that rib on the other side just put a little point off the inside. But it, it's a, such a big rib in there that the mass measurements, even though he's not like a super massive deer or anything like that, his mass measurements are going to all be real big because those 
big ribs going off the inside. So I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if he doesn't touch, you know, come close to 190 or 180s to 190 for sure this year. But since she had good encounters with him for three years in a row over there, so I guess it's time to go go hunt him. I guess. Right. What What do you base a, a buck that you're going to take this year? How How do you figure that out with the caliber deer that you're looking at? Well, a lot of it comes down to you know are they over five, and a lot of them we leave to go to six and stuff. We want you know, and a lot of it is I just kind of want to see what they'll do. You know, I just. Yeah, you get to the point oh, where you, luck, yeah, that you don't really want to shoot them anymore. You're like, let's, let's see, when, you know, but when I think they're topped out, when they go like two years in a row and they don't really do much, okay, they're topped out. But a lot of it is just, you know, which ones you, like that big brow time deer, I've seen them for so many years. And like last year and the year before hunting, I had good encounters with video footage. So just for the show purpose, even, like if I go out in the first five minutes and shoot the big brow time deer, you know, if you were went to an outfitter in the first five minutes, you went and shot a deer, say, okay, what am I going to do for the, the other 26 minutes of the show right. but like for me I, I could go out and shoot them in in first five minutes but i could probably do two episodes on all the encounters and the sheds and everything else that i found so it, you know you think about okay i've i've passed that deer in, in the past even when he was you know a big deer at four and, and stuff that okay well i should probably shoot because i you know I'm, i let it i gave him the pass several times before and then just even for our show you can put a good episode together with all over the years of passing them and seeing them and gunning the sheds and everything and then shooting them. And so that's why I tip me. Petey is probably one of my favorite deer. He's, he's just such a big frame. I mean, just a big square frame. He's probably the prettiest deer that we have. But, you know, Tiffany passed him last year. So I think, hey, you know, you could have killed 180 inch deer last year and you didn't. So you deserve to go get him now that I think you know, that he's even a little bit bigger. So that's kind of the way, you know, between Tiffany and I, it's like, what deer did you have encounters with? You know, what deer did you pass over the years? that can make the best episode. And, and even though, you know, when you pass something, we pass a lot of big deer that we never see again, you know, the neighbors shoot and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, you lose a lot of them that you look back on and you say, man, I should have never passed that deer. You know, we passed on 200 inch deer and that neighbors are killed and found dead and never, never made it through the next year to get them to 220 or something like that. So it's, it's a gamble. So when you gamble and deer still alive, you know, next year, it's like, well, you should maybe get rewarded for that, you know, in a way, you know, you kind of feel like, all right, I passed a, you know, Tiffany passed 180 inch deer last year, which isn't easy to do. So, all right, it makes it, when you go shoot them at 190, it justifies that. You know, people always say, you know, God, I can't believe you passed those kind of deer. And say, yeah, but I wouldn't have shot that 190 if I would have killed him. I wouldn't have passed him the year before when he was 170. Or, I went, or the year before when he was 150. Or the year before when he was 140, where I would have shot him 20 years ago. You know, so it just, you, you like to be rewarded for your management plans at you know time. So that's kind of how we figure it out, what we're sure. going to shoot, what we're going to hunt. And, and, you know, you have them on the hit list now, but by the time we get to October, you may never see them again. Um, they may totally disappear. They, a lot of deer, they just disappear. You never see them again. Is and there any a lot particular of them, buck that comes to your mind that you passed on and you look back like, man, I should have yeah. never passed that one? Yeah. Oh, I could probably name a hundred. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Uh, you can go look at our EHD pile of deer and all these ones that, you know, it's really sad because you, you see deer that you passed and, and you find them dead from EHD over the past years and you got ones that you passed, your neighbors shot, you got but somebody that you passed that just never showed up again. I mean, that one rate, you know, we call Anvil and passed them, passed them, even yeah, know, last year, must have been over 180, but I just thought, you know, let's just give them another year to get them to, to six and. And I hunted him a bunch at six and almost killed him a couple of times. 
you know, just, she just got lucky. Just how the old deer do sometimes just one more step and I'll, you know, he's right there. He's following the doe and he's right there. Just take one more step out where I see your vitals and a little nubbin buck comes in. I guess horns literally two inches long goes and chases that doe from this giant buck. And she goes running and he goes tearing off right back behind him. And I was like, you gotta be kidding me. Six more inches. And I would have shot that deer. Okay, but in the next year, it's like, man, he was just going into a giant. He put on the spread and points, and I mean, he was going to be over 200. So I was like, man, that's probably awesome that I didn't get a shot at him. I didn't think he'd roll like that at seven. And then July, middle of July, he just stopped showing up. Never saw him again. And then you just, you just don't know him. And now when I, not that passed him, I, I would have killed him that year before, but you know, he just got through, which a lot of them do. But, you know, we have, there's a, one of the biggest deer we ever had was probably like a 230. When we called Taser, and I was hunting, and I was, and I was hunting him, and then he soon he broke some points off. You know, he had all these outside flyers and everything. And he was only five. I mean, you know, I was like, he still has some growing to do that thing. He could go to two forty. So I just right. all right, I'm not going to hunt him. I'm not going to shoot him, and just let him go. And then found him dead right in the middle of the farm that year. I, you know, from what I don't, who knows? But even last year we had a giant one that was like maybe 190 inches, but he's only four. I was like, God, he's tempting. Now you look at it like, oh, he was just a beautiful deer. And he's just, but he blew so much from the year before, too, from three to four. I was like, man, he, I really shouldn't shoot him. But it was tempting, you know, because he was so big. He's, you know, upper 90s, I'm sure. But then he started, then he broke a couple points off. Okay, that's easy. You know, I'm pass it to them go. Right. Um, November 15th, I had a picture of him chasing a doe across the field. Never had another picture of him. Never saw him again. Okay. You know, huh. Yeah, you're assuming that, I'm assuming that neighbor shot him, you know, because. You know, we were trying to lay off him because he was only four, but nobody else was going to. Nobody else is that dumb. <laughs> you know, when you saw him, you go, holy cow. I mean, he <laughs> right. had, he had right. three points that were over 13 or 14 inches, just towering tall and, you know, stickers and stuff. It was it was an incredible buck. You, you think with uh, neighboring farms there that, uh, you know, the neighbors hunting that would, would you know, and I'm sure, Lee, if they, if they ask that, you'd be more than happy to tell them the age and, and what you know about the bug, because obviously you're educated about your herd there. Neighbor Walt from Mississippi, they are great. Him and his son went hunt, and you know, and I'm always so happy for them when they even shoot deer that that we're hunting. But they've been awesome. I mean, it's okay. These are the deer that I think you're wait, and they do, and they hold out. You know, being from Mississippi and never shot deer that big, and the way they hold out, but it paid off for them because Burks, you know, there was a deer that I was hunting. I thought Crown Royal. Um, you know, I, I was hunting them every day too. And, and and he shot him, but I was super happy for him. I was like, hey, you know, that's the kind of deer. He was like a seven or eight year old buck. It's, I mean, getting pictures of him, but very sparse. He wasn't like a wasn't like a resident deer that was there all the time. I get pictures of him every year, but just a few times a year. Right. But that year, he was just showing up a bunch, and you know, I was I was super pumped for him. It's like, hey, that's what we all hunt for. I'm not mad that my neighbor shot him. I was like, hey, you know, I you know, over the years, I've shot a lot of good ones. I mean, it's great to see him shoot one. Right. You know, so he was just thrilled. I mean, it was giant buck i mean we call him crown royal because his, uh, his twos kind of they split like up into like four points up at the top where almost you could pour they hold water in them almost you know so look oh, at okay. crown on the back on the twos yeah. um and he's like a six five six just giant mass and stuff and you know so he shot him so he, you know, that's all it really takes is for them to get up to get neighbors on board is they say okay i'm passing okay, i'm looking for the deer and then they shoot it and wow you know that was definitely worth it they were, I would have shot that 140-inch deer that came out like I would have normally. You know, we never had a chance at that. And then Walt last year, you know, we had all, all kinds of really good bucks over. Even that big brow tine deer is on that farm and stuff too. And he would see him all the time. It's like, nah, he's only four. Let's let him go. There's a big, big ten that that was like six that 
I had pictures of a ton earlier, but then he kind of disappeared. And it's like, he might be over on you, Walt, but that's one you want to look for. And like on his third or fourth day out, he shot him and, you know, big, heavy thing. And, you know, so they're really on board and it works great for them. It works great for me. Yeah, because, really cool. yeah and I don't mind that they shot him because those are the deer we're supposed to shoot. What bothers right. you if you got a three-year-old or a four-year-old that could be at 220 someday and, and they're shooting them when they're, you know, 160s. You're like, ah, oh, that's what just kills you. You know, taking their potential out. That Timmy, yeah, he's totally, he's totally out of velvet now. He was just, he had it hanging this morning. Now he's totally out. I can get a better picture of him. No kidding. But yeah, he's out, yeah. he's out there right now. It, it, it just goes to show you though. It's just like, uh, last time you was on the, on the show here, you was talking about a farm that was crossed away from you and, uh, yeah. was hold, holding some of your biggest bucks, you know, and here's a guy really had no clue what he had on his fingertips there. And, yeah, uh, yeah he I told me he's like, I'm never going to shoot a good, yeah, I'm never going to shoot any good deer. You shoot them all. Right. <laughs> he, <laughs> he had some yeah, better deer had at his with, place. Yeah, Tiffany shot Sandman on there. All of that big deer Wally that she killed. We could have shot him over there. Yeah, I mean. It just, you yeah. know, it's just amazing. It'd be a true blessing to have a neighboring farm to you guys. There's no doubt about it. That, uh, it's just the yeah. the program and the land management and the conservation that you put into your piece of land that you're hunting on is phenomenal. And, you know, hats off to you guys for that. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of our neighbors, you know, some of them when we first moved here kind of didn't know. And they're mad because they're places that they used to hunt and, and stuff. Right. And now everybody's shooting bigger deer than they ever have because, you know, it's just, they're all wild deer. I mean, it's not like you have a high fence or anything. So right, your, your, right. your farm's only going to hold so many good bucks. So, you know, every three-year-old will never shoot a three-year-old and I will never shoot a four-year-old. So it's not like on a 500-acre farm, 200-acre farm or 150-acre farm, or whatever. It's not like you're going to keep stacking them. It's not like, okay, I got the 500 acres. Now I got 47 five-year-old bucks. I No, it'll hold, it'll hold five, right. four or five, and that's it. The rest of them are out on the neighbor's. Right, you know, right, yeah. So we you don't know, any four-year-olds, that... so you're dumping five-year-olds, you know, especially when they're three, a lot of them, you know, can have a lot of three-year-olds, but when they get to four and they're ready to be prime breeders, they don't want the competition. If there's bucks on top of them, they'll go over to the neighbors. So our neighbors are shooting bigger deer than they ever had. I mean, we got neighbors that said, man, I've been hunting here. You know, my dad, my grandpa have lived here for 200 years, and that, you know, their family has lived on those farms that we've never shot anything like we do now. It's like, yeah, because you got somebody that's, letting all the three-year-olds when they're 160s go and all of a sudden they're four-year-olds and we're letting them go and now they're 180s and when it's down to five and there's older deer even than them on the farm and they're getting you know you're you're booting five-year-olds out onto neighbors that are 200 inch deer you know so everybody benefits from it what do you do you guys build water sources yes um you know not like some places like you know when we sent over in Wisconsin a lot, like in Buffalo County, they had, we know, they put water all over on those bluffs because that, you know, it was so steep and ridgy and stuff. It wasn't like they had like running creeks and stuff like ours. We have a really lot of up and down with lots of creeks, lots of water. Um, almost all of our farms are like running creeks and stuff going through them. And that's kind of why I think we've had a problem with EHD so much. We have had that water. So we, we do, and a lot of times like on my food plots, especially, it's we're great if we're going to doze in a food plot and it's, got a little bit of you know some slant to it well let's just let's just put a big pond on that edge so it can catch the water that's you know draining off the thing and, and have a nice pond right in the food plot so we have a nice beautiful like with tiffany has killed a lot of deer and she'll probably kill pee on it was that's where the little field we call the jordan field we both fill in tyler jordan the first year i put it in killed deer on it and it's just a perfect field you know it's right in the bedding area it used to be all cedars which where they all bed anyway so it's 
pushed out a small, some probably like an acre and a half, and just beautiful clover in there. And you got perfect trees because it slants way off down to the road. So you get a west wind, it blows right over the top, up to the road. You can't, you never get picked off. In cedar trees, you never get smelled, winded if you get any kind of a west wind. And then it's got where it slopes, I put a big pond in it. So it's got a pretty big pond. It's an early season. A deer coming off the big fields in the morning, they're always coming, they'll drink out of that that pond until you got food and water and right in their bedding areas. So they're always in there during daylight until they come in the morning, mill around in there and eat <clears throat> and drink before they bed in those cedars. The evening they get up in there, you know, and, and eat and drink before they go out to the big field. It's a perfect spot. Well, sounds like it for sure. So you just go in and, and bulldoze up a, a small pond, just enough to take runoff water and, and leave them with a water source. Yep. And, you know, you got to make them, you know, make sure you got a good clay bottom to them. They don't like weeds in there. And if, it, if you do, if you start getting a bunch of weeds and muck and stuff in there, then we'll just put chemicals in there to kill those and put, you know, uh, that, uh, uh, that, you know, stuff we use for our dogs you know, that you put in the water, put in there to keep it, you know, good water, you know. So if you get a good clay base on it that'll hold a good pond in there and we have them pretty big i mean like that one on that jordan field is uh, it's got to be 50 yards long and 20 or 30 yards wide so like, if you get a clay bottom where you don't get you know the weeds in there and deer on in there to kill the weeds out of it so it just so it doesn't get real mucky and stuff and even like as far as dog that florida flora that we put in their water you know sometimes you got to take it out of ponds or something we're hunting you put some of that in there to make sure it's good clean water and then i spray around the edges you know with with rounders, the little backpack sprayer, try to get too much weeds around the edge just to keep it nice and clean in there so they really like to drink out of it. Some of them, you have the little ones, you know, if you don't do anything to them, it'll just be a, it's just, it looks like a, you know, duck weed stuff all the time and you can't see water, obviously, green muck and stuff in there. And then it's like, now that's detrimental as far as mosquitoes and bugs and, you know, the, the midges for that they're getting the HD from it. So I try to keep it real clean with clay. Um, you know, if there's no clay there, then I just won't put a pond in there. But if you, a lot of places when you're doing these, you get into clay and it's, all right, let's put a, a good clay bottom uh, pond in where I can keep it good and clean and, uh, you know, make a good drinking source for them. And every year, you know, we just start doing a lot more with trees like this this year, you know, like, well, I'll call it the last five years. We got a guy, I met a guy at uh, Dixie Deer class and Kenny Hallman at, in North Carolina. And so every year I contact him and he, me up with pear trees and apple trees and you just it's phenomenal it's such a great job to ship them anywhere and no dirt on them he's put like the root balls like they're probably seven or eight foot tall pear and apple trees already and there's no dirt on them so just the roots in there and he puts them in a plastic bag with gel in there that keeps them wet put them in a big box and ships them to me so i get and try to get a few dozen apple and pear trees every year and so every year each farm to try to get more and more it's got to get an apple orchard going let's get you know pear and apple trees here and you know, and a lot of times in strategic places, a lot of them are right in my bigger food pot there, big clover food pots. All right, let's, let's put, you know, three rows of 10 apples and then, you know, a pair, a row of pears and then a row of apples and a row of pears, you know, get like 40 trees right there and kind of where up on the top end where my stands are at. So I can look over clover field, but then I got these 40 apple and pear trees. And, you know, within two years, those pear trees are producing pears. So you got them coming to that kind of a draw up to that end of the big field. So, so it's, you know, it's, Never done. You can always make it better. We started hinge cutting a bunch of stuff, you know, in our open, you know, timber that's kind of getting a little bit open doing that this year. So, I mean, it, it never ends. You can always make your place better and getting better CRP fields in and you know, bedding stuff. Too much for me to take on on myself. I try to take a piece of every, take a piece of something every year, you know, outside of planting and, 
you know, over the next 15 years, hopefully all the farming will have good fruit trees, we'll have, you know, perfect bedding, you know, switchgrass and big blue stem and Indian grass, you know, GRP fields for, for bedding and everything. But as of right now, we're a long ways from it, but at some point before I die, it'd be nice to see all the farms perfect the way I want them, but that'll probably never happen either. <laughs> <laughs> right. Touch base real quick on that hinge. I'm not going to live that long. Is the is the hedge cutting? If I, if I understand this right, you just go in and you you like quarter saw the tree where it'll break over and almost strip the yeah. tree in half and keep greenery on the tree on the ground. Yep, that's what I just was before I came over here and got on this, looking at some of that stuff, and it worked really good. I mean, all you see all the trees that the leaves are just big lush green leaves on them now, and I cut them all in the wintertime, like in March, before they were leafed out. So you know, some of them will break off. You know, when you're you're doing if you let them hit too hard, something will break off. But you know, figure about fifty to seventy percent really broke good. You know, you do it about shoulder level, and you go through about two thirds of the way, and let it try to as slow as possible fall over, and try to drop some other smaller ones and bigger ones on top of it to kind of you know create a bedding area for them where they can get underneath. They really like being underneath those tree tops and stuff, but they got to still have a an, an escape way where they can get out. You don't want to close them in too much, but you know, if you can keep that greenery growing to all those leaves that are for food wise that they you know they get it all at all the leaves and everything that are right on the ground plus it's you know cover form to get out of the sun that lay underneath those things then you just open up the canopy you know where they can get, get sunlight in there and start growing more under storage in there and stuff so it really you know it does a really good job at all that if you don't plan on timber harvesting because it makes a mess I mean, because we got them, it's like what I want. It's perfect deer cover. But if somebody went and said, okay, I'm going to go and, you know, harvest timber. They go, oh, my gosh, how do we even get through this? Because it's a jungle. I mean, trees, the you know, 15-inch round trees laying all over the place and everything. So, you know, if you're going to plant timber harvesting, so do that first. And then, you know, all your, mid, your mid-sized trees and, like, the rest of it, a lot of hackberries and stuff that are just not, you know, they're just crap trees. That Those are the ones that really kind of focus on to really drop a lot of them out of there and really you drop enough that you got you know when you look up you say okay there's going to be sunlight to get through here if you just go through and do a few here and there it'll never do anything to your you know the canopy you'll you, you won't see any improvement so I mean, you go in and do I man go down a ridge 200 yards every single tree and 200 yards 300 yards long and 100 yards wide just so okay i can look up and say no there's sun gonna get in here you can't just do a few if, I mean, you can do a few just to make a couple of good bedding places for them. If you have really open timber, you know, okay, I can drop a few, but it's not going to thicken your timber up. I mean, it's got to get sun through there. Because even when I was just, I was just there before I came here. And some of it looks great. And some of the places I didn't do enough, like look in there and say, it's still all shaded under there. Even though I see trees laying all over, there's no sunlight breaking through. So, you know, it's harder when you like do it in the wintertime. There's no leaves. You think you have a hole, but once it all leaves up, well, I guess it wasn't enough, so I'm going to have to go in and do more on some of that stuff just to, to be able to get the sun through there, you know, to, to grow that understory. So you really got to do a lot, a lot more than you think. Yeah, that uh, that that sounds really interesting. So you, you're saying you went in and did 200 long, 100 wide, and, and pretty much laid everything down. Yes, and it's a big ridge that, and there's a road at the bottom that have food plots on the other side of it. Right. And the, the timber was so open, you drive your car in there or truck in there, and you you know see a hundred deer running. I mean, you're just driving in there. And you're like, you can't even get in without moving the deer out. You know, because they like laying on that, especially late season, because it's south facing hillside. So they all lay on there in the sun, but they can see a half a mile through there. So that went down that entire ridge. I mean, that mid that ridge is probably half a mile long. I mean, the road going back in there. So. 
I went on the whole thing to, and you know, did a half a mile worth of it. The whole top. I mean, it took me we had like seven guys. It took me like a month almost to go and just do that one part on that farm. Wow. Um, and that was, I had, you know, a bunch of guys come down for like the weekends and then I was doing it every day during the week myself when nobody was there. But so you do a big chunk like that and then like you might have a drainage, you know, not just a solid, you know, ridge. You'd have, you know, the cuts through it where the water comes through. So, so I'd, I'd leave, you know, okay, let's leave a 50 yard corridor here because it's such a mess. Deer can't even, they like to bed in it, but they can't, certainly can't run through it. So, okay, let's leave a big, you know, a, a, a corridor that they can walk through the food plots. So that's right. going to help me too. So I, I strategically put those where my food plots are. So, okay, if you have a big mess on this whole side, okay, here's my food plot and here's my stand and stuff here. I want them to come down that hill. Okay, this is where you can kind of focus them, where you want them to come across the road and go into the food plots, you know, by your stand. So, you know, you kind of make a strategy on all that too. You're going to make a, a giant mess of stuff where they want to bed in it and stuff, but it's not easy walking. I mean, it's not like they can walk through it. It's a, it's a tangled mess. So we leave places, okay, where do I want them to be able to come through this easy? So, and right now I can see the highways coming right where I left them when I was about to do it. Just highways coming across this road. I mean, it's not a road, it's just my farm road. It's in the middle of the farm, so it's not like a public road or anything. It's just my farm road that they come across to, because that the big hillside's up on one side, and then the other side is uh, around my food plots. How did you big, educate yourself on the hinge cutting? Oh, uh, just looking on YouTube videos and stuff. <laughs> I knew I had to thicken it up, so... Yeah, you just look on, you know, talking, well, my buddy Greg Rich did a bunch of his farm at, at Illinois. So he was talking about it. One of his guys that filmed for him, films for us too. So Jared was down there helping him do that. So he had all the foresters in and they did it. So Jared was there filming some of that. So he knew how to do it. That's right. You know, Jared is the one that told me, he's like, no. I said, well, would you keep going? You keep doing it? Oh, yeah. Just wiped out the whole thing. You know, so you think, well, you're cutting 200 yards of every tree down that, well, yeah, they're not standing, but they're still on the ground. It's a mess. I mean, you know, it's, <laughs> and you cut things at shoulder level, so they're all hinge over. So you can crawl, you can go underneath, like deer can get underneath all those dumps and trees and, and everything. It's not like they're down on the ground. They're all hinged, you know, but you do them at shoulder level. So right. five foot of trunk sticking up and then down. So they, they can pick their way through it and lots of good bedding stuff and everything. But you now you get sun coming through this, you get new brush growing up in there and stuff, but then they leave those corridors that they can walk through and stuff but so he helped me a lot on that too because he had you know he forced us to do it and so kind of learned from them makes sense now uh, i like to be there the day the guy comes to give you the uh the walkthrough on doing some big timber clear cutting for you <laughs> <laughs> he'd be like the co-op yeah guy, he? like uh well you got a long yeah. way to go buddy yeah well we haven't we've never taken any timber off of any of our places yet i mean because most of it you know when you buy stuff you know here there's not it's not like Minnesota where the whole northern Minnesota is all timber. I mean, it's right. sparse, you know, it's more sparse here. So just about every farmer that has owned it, you know, took every penny worth of it off, you know, that they could already. So, you know, some of ours don't get for 15 years. They get to the point where you could probably take some off of it. But, you know, most of them you buy something before farmers ever sell it, you know, they take every penny worth of trees off of it and you know, get everything they can off of it before they sell it. So we, there was nothing that, you know, had any timber value on it when we bought it. We're starting to get some now. You know, some of our oak trees and like our oldest farm, like our house farm, that's the first one that we bought. And it's been like 15 years. We're starting to get some of those 20 to 22 to 23 inch oaks on it. A lot of them, though, we probably could go in and do that. I'll start taking, thinking about that soon and not that you really do it. We have everything just is for deer habitat. It's not, you know, hey, I want to take it all off with money for it. It's like, okay, it's starting to get a little 
open that timber, those bigger trees are starting to create too much of a canopy. Maybe we better go take some of those out and leave those treetops on the ground for cover and open it up and, you know, thicken it up some. So it makes sense. It's just land management for your whitetail herd. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing about Rolodex of information for us. It's nothing about profit for us on that stuff. If you make some money on it, just go go into our farm fund for food plots and stuff. But, you know, we do what's best for deer, not what's best for our wallet for sure. Right. Makes sense. Lee and Tiff, do you, when you guys are out at the coffee shop, do your neighbors come up to you and shake your hand and say thank you for all the things that you do in your place? It seems uh, like they're benefiting. We've never been out in a coffee shop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't even, anywhere. yeah, I don't even know most of our neighbors. It's been here for 15 years, and maybe I know a couple That's funny. You know, farmers that I might talk to or something, but I never... I know like when we're home, we're homebodies, man. It's like we either are at our house or, you know, I run a few errands, but I otherwise we're at my mom's house. It's like we're just, we're just homebodies, you know? That's funny. Yeah, That's well, we're gone so much, and, you know, every weekend you're doing appearances and commercial seats. There's just so much going on. It's like vacation is time at home. I mean, so when we're at home, I'm out, we were working. Or, you know, I know some of my immediate neighbors that, you know, just do farming stuff. You know, or if the cows get out or something, you have to for it. But it's not like we go out to, we never, we don't go to bars, we don't go to restaurants. Yeah, we don't go to it's like, we don't, we don't really hardly know anyone. Maybe in 15 <laughs> years, I've got kind of one hand of people that I know. That's, that's really funny. So do you, do you see your neighbors at all? You wave to them when you're driving by? Or is this, yeah, oh, yeah, you wave at everybody. You wave. It's, it's a wave. wave. Like, yeah. I haven't spoken five words to 99% <laughs> of the people. Do, do you think they know who you guys are? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's a small town. Face it, it's, the gossip I'm sure goes like crazy around, you know, because you have a you know, TV show and stuff. So everybody, who knows what they say about it. You know, because they want to know. Everybody don't want to know. Right. People gossip. <laughs> the ones we know are, I mean, they're they're awesome. I mean, they're always nice people. And, you know, but we just don't talk to them because we're just not out. I right. mean, people come over to our house. Yeah, great. We talk to them. We know, like, they're Jim Honorado or our mayor. He's over all the time. And he watches us, puts our cats out when we're gone and watches their house and does stuff. And, like, our game wardens are friends of ours. Like, like Matt and Mike, who work for us both, are on the deputy sheriffs, too. They, you know, they, and they're on the reserves now. Like Matt used to be full time, I think, maybe or maybe he's always been on the reserves. But so they know all, and that's all their friends are all the game wardens and the sheriffs and everything. So we know all those guys. Just cause I'm the two guys that were the only two employees that I have. We meet more neighbors both at the are. Iowa Deer Classic. Yeah, that's true. Uh, we go to the Iowa Deer Classic where we meet most of our neighbors when we're working. Yeah, yeah the next year we'll be, oh, really nice to meet you. <laughs> they never, you know, I'm home with this going a million miles an hour working and stuff, but you don't have get a chance to. Your neighbor's you know, got to come to the show to see who you are. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great. That is perfect. Yeah, very so few people. But, you know, when it comes to hunting, like neighbors that are hunters, then, you know, like, you know, like the neighbor that I know more than anyone is Walt, and he lives in Mississippi, you know, but he calls and texts, emails, stops over, because we talk deer all the time. The other, you know, yeah. farmers and stuff, I mean, you talk, hey, you know, yeah, great, we've got rain, or sound, you talk, you know, crops a little bit here or there, but see him in the co op or something, but that's. Any place I'm at, you know, down getting fertilizer, picking up seed, or, or doing something, you might see a couple of neighbors there. But other than that, you're waving at them as you're driving by. But we don't, we don't go. I mean, a little town of Salem, there's bars and cafes and restaurants, you know, gas stations. I've never been in any one of them. <laughs> never even been in them, let alone, you know, you know, spent any time there. Right. Or 
bought a cup of coffee. That's funny. Yeah, I don't drink coffee, so that's well, there you go. The, All right, that would probably be the that's reason. Out of the question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've got uh, ten rapid fire questions for both of you. I haven't prepped you on any of these, but it's kind of a get to okay. know, get get to know you a little bit better. Uh, Lee, what's your number one hunting tip of all time? Um, I would say cameras. Um, using cameras, that's cha- that, that's what changed the game for me. Okay. For good and for bad, but it changed the game for me. I mean, okay. killing more deer, and you know it, but there's no surprises, so he takes some of it. But. For me, I say take your time. You have way more time when you're hunting than you ever think. And a lot of times you rush a shot and you miss or you jack something up. Okay, gotcha. Really good tip right there. Very nice. We all have these things that we, we kind of consider good luck charms. We're a little annoyed if we leave them in the truck or at home. And if it's not in our, our pack with us during the hunt, it drives us crazy if we don't have it. What's that one thing for you, Tiffany? Uh, my prey bracelet. The little blue bracelet that I wear all the time that our friend Pastor King gave me. Gotcha. All right. And mine is, mine is Tiffany's dad's dog tag. I have those with me all the time. Gotcha. All right. Very nice. Lee, what's your biggest pet peeve? <laughs> Wait, that's she's sitting next to me, so you can't. That's incriminating. Weeds in my field. Weeds in my clover field. Weeds, okay. Tiffany? Uh, boys slamming doors at my house. I hate it. Our bedroom door is by the back door, and I hate when they slam the door because I used to get in trouble for that when I was little. In fact, I locked my door for like two weeks. When uh, I was younger, because I used to slam the door all the time. That's right. yes, her dad took it off the hinges. Yep, he took it off the hinges. Wow. All right. No slamming doors. That's a good one. <laughs> uh, uh, Lee, how old are you today? Uh, 50. 50. Tiffany? Yeah. 41. 41. All right. What would you tell, or we'll start with Lee. Lee, what would you tell the 25-year-old Lee Lakoski, knowing what you know today? Um, well, I wish I would have started a lot earlier. Like, I, I know... In college, I just I just didn't know what I wanted to do right away. So I went and got like a, a degree in in economics first, and then by the time I got to twenty five, I was like, hey, you know what? I got to do something specific. And it was always around hunting, and it was like, okay, if I want to, you started seeing like when you're knocking on doors and stuff. It used to be easy to get like when I was a kid to get hunt, permission hunting, but you see all that going away when the white tail craze kind of took over and stuff. Is like, all right, I got to go back and do something more specific, something that I can make up my. I got to buy my own property so when i was 25 i went back to college and got a degree in chemical engineering and then you know they're making enough money to buy some properties and then you know we just kind of got lucky and ran into this but i would tell you know you know my 25 year old me actually it would be nice if i had my 20 year old me to say hey get your butt in college and and don't worry about you know having every weekend having to drive down and look at deer you should be studying every week because you have the rest of your life to look at deer you know but you got to go out and get a good job and install an education and everything first before you're going to be able to get any of those things in life you want. I wish I would have started, done it earlier. Okay, gotcha. Tiffany, what would you tell the 20-year-old Tiffany Lukoski? The 20-year-old Tiffany Lukoski to finish college. Finish college. <laughs> Stick with it and finish college. I never did, by the way. Are you Any plans to do so? No, not anymore. Not you know, anymore. years ago I used to think, maybe I should go do that, and then now I'm like, well, I'm pretty happy right now. Yeah. I'm just fine with where I'm at right now and taking care of our son. Right. Life's an education anyway. As a whole, exactly. you learn a lot. All right. Uh, you're at a hunting convention. You're at the hotel lobby, and a stranger comes up to you, and we'll start with, with Tiffany on this, and they ask you what you do for a living. What do you tell them? Uh, that I'm a host of a television show, a hunting outdoor television show with my husband. Okay. All right. Lee, and I'm you, a mom. And a mom. Very nice. Lee, what do you say? Same thing. 
I mean, they, you know. Actually, because they were rednecks from Iowa. <laughs> yeah, because it's not a hunting convention. Most people know you anyway. They right. love you. Like, hey, it's nice to now. And there, you know, you get that all the time. Oh, wait, that, you know, I can't believe we're meeting. You say, ah, we're just rednecks from Iowa like anyone else. There you go. Very nice. All right, Lee, what did you have for breakfast this morning? Um, I did. You had butter toast. Oh, yeah, you did. You, Tiffany made me a piece of peanut butter toast. Two pieces of peanut Yeah, <laughs> normally I don't. Normally I just, you know, send things up, I out there, run out the door, and I'm out working. I kind of tend to forget about it most of the time. But Tiffany was there, so she made me peanut butter toast this morning. Very nice. Tiffany, what did you have? I had a banana with Cameron and the rest of his apple cinnamon oatmeal. Beautiful. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Tiffany, you get your own billboard as a blank canvas. What, what would you put on it? Uh, a picture, actually a picture of our family with our dogs and our baby. Beautiful. Lee? And, of course, a couple extra deer trophy shots in the background. <laughs> of course. All right, Lee. What like a you... Christmas card. <laughs> <laughs> hey, oh, yeah, a Christmas card. Very nice. Lee, yeah. what, what would your canvas look like? I would have something that, that you know, about the hunters are the true conservationists. Because like Jimmy said, I, of course, the family and all that stuff, but that's not something I that's something for me. I don't get to share that with everybody else. But if just everybody knew, you know, what the truth is about hunting, we'd have a lot easier time one, with this because, you know, the anti-hunters, even them, if you could just sit down and talk to them, because um, you're on the same side. It's like you look at the anti-hunters, you know, the guys are the anti say, look, we, we're doing the exact same thing. You just have different ways of going about it. I love animals as much as you do. I mean, I spend every penny I'd make on these things. I love these animals. Yeah, I shoot a few, but I see thousands of them. Look, we're on, we're, we're on the same side as you, and we're just doing something about to make sure that they're the conservation. Look, at the turkeys were almost extinct. The NWTF comes in. That's not anti-hunters. That's hunters that come in and do that. Hunters are willing to say, hey, all right, let's shut down hunting. Let's do it. Let's, let's shut it down here until we get these back. They want to see those animals thrive, and it's because we care about them, not because we want to slaughter them. Because we love them, we love out nature. We like seeing them, you know. And of course, we shoot a few, but I feed a thousand. Right. And if you could really get those anti hunters just to come over to your house and listen to you one time, you you could probably you know get them to understand you more. But you know, just the general, the eighty percent of people that are just non hunters, you know, that's probably stuff that they don't really know. We've had people like Karina Smirnoff over at our house, and she's part of PETA, you know, in Hollywood. That they, you know, they they grab everybody there, and like PETA just will want to just. They'll take you all their money and put it on a billboard to, you know, against the anti-hunters. But, you know, hunters will actually put their money to something that actually does some good. Does PETA ever, how much money does PETA ever put to the Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation that's conserved, you know, 6 million acres? That'll be nothing but elk habitat for right. the rest of eternity. You know, how, many, how much money have they donated to that? No, they put their money on a billboard to say, you know, you know whatever, and to pay Hollywood people to, 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 you know, to get them to say, hey, they're part of PETA. But when she was over at her house, by the time she got done, you know, and she wasn't like really super anti-hunting anyway, it was just kind of the thing to do, you know, in Hollywood, oh yeah, PETA, yeah, okay, yeah, I'll sign up for it, the same. Right. you know, just the way all Hollywood is. But, you know, by the time she left, she was like, man, I'd like to get a bow, you know, and they see <laughs> you know, kind, of what, kind of what you do. Um, it's because you love the animals, not because you're out there to slaughter them, for God's sake. So, but, you know, if you could, if everybody knew that, you wouldn't, they wouldn't be anti-hunters. They wouldn't be, it wouldn't have to be so, you know, almost taboo to have to say you're a hunter, you know, and, you, and it shouldn't. It's just, it's, you know, it's been a heritage. Every, every one of those anti-hunters doesn't have to go back more than two generations of their grandfather's grandmother by rolling in their graves right now. You know, and it's just, for me, I look at, it's what kept me out of trouble as a kid. I never thought of 
drinking or smoking or, you know, any of that concept. My whole life revolved around hunting and going out with my dad fishing. And if everybody, if everybody's kids felt that way, we'd have a heck of a lot better, uh, you know, world to live in than, than we do now. Right. Excellent. Very well said. All right, Lee, if I say the word successful to you, who's the first person that pops into your head and why? <laughs> well, there's a lot. Well, I just, the first person that popped into my mind was me and Tiffany because not, not well successful, but I just to be able to spend, I spent the first part of the day shooting my bow and fetching new arrows. And I went from there, took my son out on a ranger and checked cameras and, and feeders. And I went from there out to, and, fixed a feeder that wasn't working and I went and checked some other ones on the farm now here talking deer hunting with you guys I mean how much I mean to me that's it's not monetary wise it's like I get to get up every day and do something that I love with my family and spend time with them and, and stuff every day so I could you know could make something up and say something but that is the first thing that came popped into my mind when you said it well, that's great <laughs> I don't want to be like that's... self-absorbed but uh, that's Right. in my mind because I feel like I'm the luckiest guy in the world every day. I wouldn't I wouldn't call it self self absorbed. I'd call it happy. Sounds like you're just happy. <laughs> <laughs> you enjoy yeah. what you're doing. That's excellent. Yeah. Not, not not everybody can say that. So I I understand where you're coming from. Tiffany, what would you say? I would I would say kind of something along the lines of that, but more so I would say my husband Lee. I mean he took us from being a flight attendant and a chemical engineer with not a dime to our name to owning six thousand acres and basically running this whole operation that we do and he does it pretty successfully every day day in and day out 365 days a year and there's no one i know that works harder than him and he's definitely the reason why we're at where we're at gotcha very very good answer all right uh tiffany what's a day in the life of you look like oh gosh well is that before cameron or before I had a baby, yeah. Before I had a baby, or um, after I had a baby. Let's let's go with the after. Like, what what's happening today? Now, well, just like all summer long, you know, I'm so lucky because I'm home with them most of the time. Really, I mean, you know, we have a few things that we can't take them with on. Otherwise, he's on all my hunts. And um, him and I and my mom actually just got back from Utah where we were mule deer hunting and stuff. And you know, I just am lucky to be able to take them with all the places I go. But now, you know what? I just usually wake up and we go running usually in the summertime and Lee and I take turns or my mom watches Cameron while we run. And otherwise it's, it's all about Cameron and just what we're doing with him all day long for the most part. Yep. Just being a mom, just a regular old being a mom. So pretty much running from the second he wakes up in the morning to when he goes to bed. Okay. What, and then in the meantime, trying to shoot my bow and trying to manage all the rest of the stuff that we have to do. In between. How, what time does he get up usually? Pretty darn lucky. He's usually up at 7.30 or so. Not and then bad. he usually goes to bed about eight eight thirty. So yeah, not bad at all. Not bad. Take a nap or not bad. during the day, but yeah, you know, it was, I used to think it would be. It was, you know, of course, it's a lot different for me having a baby. When I first had him, I'm like, wow, this is really different. I'm like, I had no idea how different it would be having a toddler, which is way harder than having a baby. I'm right. like, I do not want to ride on the ranger anymore today. It's like he just drags me around, you know, and corrals <laughs> me to what he wants me to do. And I was like, it is so your dad. Right. 100% is that you're one and a half. <laughs> it's, it's like you give the, the neediness of the baby, but give them legs and let them roam. That, yeah. That's, Isn't that the truth? Yes, that's exactly what it is. Lee, what's but your... But he's the joy of my day every day. That's awesome. Lee, what's your day look like? Uh, it, there's there's nothing typical about any day, but it's the same. <laughs> it's, it's the same every day. I get up and say, what's on fire? And where, where do I have to go put it out? 
And if it ever get if it if I go like two or three days, like man, everything is looking pretty good. You know, let's you know let's I'm just gonna spend more time shooting my bow and let's go do something. It's that's a false sense of security. That's just because I probably haven't driven around all the farms that day. Because I can be sitting there and thinking, hey, everything is good. You know, everything is, hey, everything is looking pretty good. All I got to do is go drive around one day and come back, kicked off and kicking the dirt. And I can't believe it. Where are these guys? How come nobody else sees this stuff? And the fence has been down for three days. There's 400 head of cattle in our food plots. I mean, it's always something. So it's like I get up in the morning. Okay, where's the fire? Okay, where do I got to put it out first? Okay, you know, and just go from there. But every day is different. And that's what's nice about it. I mean, it's fun because every day is, is different. But it's uh, it's something every day. Right. I get up, but it's nice for me. I, I get up every morning and think about you know, you know, first thing I want to do is I the camera. And we run the dogs every day. Yeah, yeah and then, runs the dogs every day. Yep. Gotcha. But every day is different for me, but the same kind of thing. Where's the fire I got to put out today? Gotcha. It's never boring. Sounds like no. no. All right, and finally, what is a deer hunting day in the life of Tiffany look like? That's kind of another thing before camera or after camera. Like now, you know, like when I deer hunt, my mom will watch cameras, but I spend a lot of times we stay over at her house and, um, you know, I'm not out as late as I used to be because obviously I want to get back to Cameron and then I get out a little later than I used to now and I, I tend to hunt closer to my mom's house because she's watching, watching him. But different times of the year, you know, I'll be pretty hardcore and I'll be out there a lot more and then, you know, in October I'm out in the afternoons and stuff, but, you know, like you said, for us, we waited a long time before we had a baby, so there's definitely been some changes to my hunting style and what I actually do. Gotcha. And Lee, what's the... I figure he's only little once, you know? That's true. Very, very true. Lee, what's your deer deer hunting day in the life look like? (laughs) A lot different than mine. (laughs) Different than yours, right. Deer hunting for me is the the off-season because it's it's almost opposite than what most people do. Hmm. For me, the off-season is the hunting season because that's when I do it. That's when I figure out, find the deer, what deer I want to shoot. I learn all the stuff and Okay, when it comes to October first, now I'm uh, I go out and hunt. I, I'm I'm hunting in that sense, but it's the work has already been done. Now I'm just and I always compare it to golf. You don't go out to a golf course to learn how to golf. You spend a million hours on a driving range and putting greens and all that stuff. You go to a golf course to see what you've learned. And for me, the hunting season starts kind of you know January 11th and October first. Okay, hunting season's over. Now I'm going to go to the golf course and see what I learned. Right. So. For me, it's a little bit different because, like, hunting, you said, well, it's hunting, you know, what does a typical hunting day look like? Yeah, well, for me, it's checking cameras. This is kind of the same thing even during the season. It's checking cameras and food plots and seeing what's going on and stuff. And then, you know, putting as many hours in a tree as you can um, during the hunting season, you know, the actual hunting season. But I don't get to, like, before I had this job, you know, I'd sit all day all the time because I enjoyed being out there. But I really can't now i mean you'd burn if you hunt every day you'd burn yourself out but so my typical hunting day now looks like you know hunting till 11 or so and then running around every place checking and finding what's going on and then getting back in the tree at night because there's still so much work that you have to do during the season because you miss if you miss a camera or a field or something if you go i've been two weeks since i checked that farm or that field that camera you can go in there and then we've done it before. You check it and it's like four days in a row there was a giant that you wanted every day, you know, chasing does around this little field. Okay, then one of those is ready, took him, you never see him again. But you don't want to miss that that uh you know, you gotta catch those when those you know, especially during the rut when you get a big one in between those. You are only gonna be in between those for twenty four to forty eight hours. You get those pictures of them right there and bam, you get on them, you catch them on his feet and you and you shoot them. 
And, uh, you know, you, see, you create your own luck that way, but it's, you can't get lazy, you know, and just say, I'm just going to go out and hunt because you still got to know. Like for me, I got to know what's going on everywhere. Um, it's kind of my job because I got, always got people coming, friends hunting, and Tiffany hunting, and her mom hunting, and her cousins, and whoever gets drawn, and buddies and stuff. So it's like, I can't just, somebody rolls in, well, I don't know, let's go try over there. I got to know what's going on and what deer are, are showing up in daylight. And, you know, I got to keep your finger on top of everything. So my hunting is different than it used to be. Um, I still, I, I spend more hours still finding out what's, what's happening than I do in a tree stand. But, uh, when you do that though, you're going to, you keep your finger on the pulse of things. You might, you might spend way less time hunting, but you know what's going on when one is right, you go in and you kill them. I mean, so, I mean, it's, it's sometimes you're better off spending more time scouting and less hunting than more hunting than scouting. Right. Right. Very interesting. That's a, that's an interesting perspective. And it, I think that's, it, it's, it says that deer hunting never really stops. It's just sometimes they, no, they let you carry a weapon no. and the rest of the time you're still yeah. hunting. I think people would be kind of surprised, like a lot of, like we do seminars and stuff. Like I said, we just take questions and ask, what do you guys want to talk about? You know, what are you guys interested in? Mm. You know, and sometimes it gets really in-depth things. And I think a lot of people are shocked. Some of the things that, you know, that they may have thought, you know, with, about deer hunting. And for me, it's not that way at all. Um, right. You know. Fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. I learned a lot, guys. <laughs> I, it's, I, I always enjoy talking to both of you. You know. Do a show on deer hunting or on baby <laughs> She's gonna know a heck of a lot more. When I like today, when I had him, I said, "What do I feed him for lunch?" You know, <laughs> like, I set everything. You up. set everything up. Well, I don't know. There's chicken nuggets out there. Do I put them in the oven or the microwave? <laughs> so, I mean, how do I dress them for inclement weather? How do I? <laughs> the thing that she knows, but there's when it comes to deer stuff, then you come to me. You want to know things about how you open a can of peas, you know, anything that I, I couldn't figure half that stuff out. You asked her about that. Gotcha. Oh, that's funny. Well, it sounds like you're, you're both uh, learning how to be parents and that's very interesting. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It's, definitely, it's definitely a fun adventure. There's no doubt about it. Oh yeah. And it, and it just gets funner and funner. You know, it, it just doesn't seem like ever getting any better, but it, every, every day it gets older and doing something new and I just can't wait to you know, finally get out there and, you know, hunting and fishing and all that stuff with us where he goes now, but uh, you know, there'll be a point where he understands that that's going to be real fun. Right. You know, watching him just the way it was with Tiffany. Tiffany never hunted when I, you know, when we first started dating and stuff. So those first years hunting for me was more fun filming her and watching her, you know, shoot her first deer and her first good deer and how excited she get. And it was more fun watching her than shooting them myself. And it'll be same thing tenfold when he starts, you know, yeah, when they start calculating their own strategy and get successful at it, now you're like, mm-hmm. now that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> but you don't, yeah. you don't want to just just from my experience. Don't rush it. I mean, enjoy the age that he's at right now. Don't you know? Oh, for the sure. Future, because man, it'll be there for you. Know it. Yeah, yeah. yeah I know it. Absolutely. That's like, you know, that's I got to keep myself in shape. And I mean, people like you say, how when you ask how old I was at fifty, most people are like, oh my gosh, I thought you were forty. But it, you know, we didn't start. Late, I didn't get married till I was 35, and I'm 10 years older than, than Tiffany. But it's like when we, you know, we really couldn't have kids. You know, we were on the road all the time until her mom moved down here. I was like, all right, if we're gonna have any kids, you better start now, or me and the kids are gonna be in diapers at the same time because uh, <laughs> I'm getting up there in age here. So. so now, so now it's like, all right, I gotta work every day, make sure I keep myself shaved, run every day because I, I want to be, you know, 
I want to be sheep hunting with him, you know. So when I'm 70, I want to be hopping the mountain sheep hunting and, and wow. stuff. So it gives me a good incentive to keep, you know, keep keep myself in, in good shape and and everything. And knock on wood, hopefully, uh, hopefully, you know, I'm still sheep hunting with him, you know, when he's 20 and 30. So that might be a, a show first of its kind, really. I don't, I don't know if I can get yeah. any. Where yeah, you have a father son relationship that's that that uh, distant, but still hunting, and both parties in shape and, and actually yeah. going after sheep. That would be insane. Yeah, I have my walker up on the mountain trying to get over. <laughs> whatever helicopter yeah, you in. Care. Yeah, I think I haven't changed my diaper. I my depends for me. And <laughs> say, hey, I did that for you. <laughs> I did that for you, son. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Guys, it's been fantastic. Yeah. It's it's we're well beyond the hour, but I apologize for keeping you on. Just it didn't seem to. Oh, that's all right. Like I said, I could sit and talk for. I could talk till tomorrow morning on hunting. We didn't even get to more pressure and less pressure. That's the way. Right. <laughs> we get into that as another hour. So maybe we talked about it last time. I don't remember, but that's one that comes up in seminars. That I, I think. Like, I think if you'd be up for it, we'll we can go for a round three here at some point in the near future. And yeah. yeah. More to cover. Yeah, there's definitely more to cover. Well, thanks to Lee and Tiffany for joining us on the Big Buck Registry Deer Hunting Podcast. I tell you what, listening to, to Lee talk about his strategies and his environmental plans and all the things that he does, it, it's mind-blowing thank god you were on the show with me dusty because he's into the farming aspects i can't keep up with him but this is this is your bread and butter oh man me and lee and see eye to eye and, and the knowledge you know it's just it's just something that uh, I, i've been around my whole life i'm real fortunate to be able to to talk with him about a lot of subjects that maybe others couldn't you know and his knowledge on on the seed and you know and, and on preparation for the soil, his layout of his you know down to the the road direction that he needs for the wind that he needs on the farm. It's just amazing the thought and the whole process that uh, you know that Lee puts into his fields and you know, we we cut up about talking about how somebody come in and sprayed for him and they would probably think that he's crazy for planting his rows like he did and you know they're running over corn that. They went halfway across the field and it switched directions. He planted the other way for a, a ground blind setup. You know, somebody that may not be a hunter that's a farmer wouldn't understand what he's doing there. But I, I can just visually see how he's laid the fields out and the reason why he's laid the field out that way. And You know, somebody like myself could go in there and understand exactly what's going on. But, uh, you know, it's just uh, the, the knowledge that it takes to, to be a successful hunter in the aspects that they are. Uh, you know, he, he talked about the percentage of the corn that they mow down and they hunt over. And, you know, the, the question that popped in my mind is, what's your percentage rate on success after you've went in there and bush hogged down this corn? And, you know, he said, well, I've never really thought about it, but, uh, you know, that's a great question. And it's 100 percent. We, we've been 100 percent successful over that. Hmm. You know, that 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 tells me somebody in, in the caliber that, you know, Lee is and Tiffany both that. If they're telling you that they're having a hundred percent success rate over cut corn like that, bush hog corn, is something that myself as a hunter or anybody else that's a hunter that has the access to cropland, you, you better take that information and soak it into your brain and, and utilize it and capitalize on it. Absolutely, there's uh, the guy just is is full of knowledge, and I think we did a pretty good job extracting 
his knowledge so that we can all apply it to our day-to-day activities between the first show we did, which was a long time ago, and this show. Yeah, so, that's the to-be-continued show. That, it you know, really is. I've done with uh, Lee and Tiffany as far as right. pulling more knowledge and talking about subject matter that really helps the hunter. Right. And when we talked to Lee and Tiffany uh, off-air, or all of us concluded that there will be at least a third show, maybe more than that, as we kind of chronicle what has happened throughout their season to see what's ha- what what successes they had with all the work that they put in. Yeah, Tiffany and Lee predicted a mature buck in the cooler by October 8th. So, you know, that's something that I'll, I'll talk about on the show. Uh, you know, I told Tiffany that I'll be texting her back and forth and seeing if the uh, success is there and by the 8th of October. But I tell you, they, they sent us over some pictures, Jay, and holy, holy moly, that's all I'm going to say about that. Yep. They're after some great bucks, and, you know, we we would expect them to be after some great bucks after the seasons that they've had previous years, and, you know, that they've earned it. They've worked hard and put the effort and the knowledge and the technology, and, you know, that hard work pays off, and they're, they're living proof of that. Absolutely, very much so. Now, so this, this show is, like, loaded with tips. So how do you follow that act, Dusty, with the Chubby Tines tip of the week? It's, it's not going to be easy, Jay, but, uh, you know, I, I think that I'm going to go with... Uh, the Chubby Tines tip of the week is sponsored by Morse's Sporting Goods. Firearms, use firearms, bows, use bows. Located at 85 Kentucky Falls Road in Hillsborough, New Hampshire. Give Jim a call at 603-464-3444, morsessportinggoods.com. Your dollars go further in New Hampshire. There's no sales tax. Morse's Sporting Goods. The available knowledge out there on uh, equipment that you can purchase, reviews, facts, demonstration videos, you, you, you need to, to utilize all that when you're going to buy or spend your hard-earned money on a piece of equipment that your life's dependent on or your success of killing a mature whitetail is dependent on. Take the time, review the products, you know, Watch the videos on how to put it together. How you know, there, there's a lot of things out there. It could be beyond your skill level, and you buy it, and you can't get it figured out. That's something that you need to take into consideration when you're spending your hard-earned money on a product. You know, do the research. You know, Google it, YouTube it. As myself, as a hunter, before I buy something, I check it out. I, I go through and and find out where the flaws are and why and how. And if it's a good product, there, there's going to be great reviews. I mean, that, that's just the way it works. So take the take the time and research your products that you're buying to go to the woods with tree stands, trail cameras, you know, all of that's got it's all information that's available right at your fingertips. Just take a little time, slow yourself down. I'm excited, no different than everybody else to buy a new product, but I definitely want to check it out and make sure it's something that's functional for me. It's going to work for what I want to do with it. It's going to withstand my not only my you know I'm a, I'm a big guy, so I got to check things for weight, size. It's got to be wide for me. Um, you just do your research and, and spend your money wisely. And, and I tell you, it's more rewarding when you can have something that actually helps you and works great for you in the woods. It just makes you feel a whole lot better about the way your season's going. I'm telling you, I'm living proof of it. Jay, you're living proof of it. And there's a lot of hunters out there that, that take the time and, and get educated on what you're buying. That's my Chubby Times tip of the week. Love it, man. Very, very, very good. Uh, this uh, It's been an amazing show, as it always is. Thank you to Morse's Sporting Goods for sponsoring the Chubby Tines Tip of the Week. Great tip, Dusty. Well, Dusty, when we're not hanging out here in the studio and people want to reach out to you, how would one do that? 
Facebook.com forward slash Chubby Tines Outdoors. You can shoot me an email right here, Dusty at Big Buck Registry. If you got a question, I, I try my best or dang this to answer that. And if I don't have the knowledge to answer it, I will do a follow up with somebody that can help us out that can maybe answer your question. Uh, I, I try to put the effort into chasing down the answer. That, that's something that I take pride in. You can also look me up on Instagram at Chasing Antler. Jay, how can the people reach out to you when you're not on the mic? Uh, the best place, no, hands down, email. Send me an email, jay at bigbuckregistry.com. If you'd like to check out what we've got going on at the Big Buck Registry, things are heating up over there on the Facebook page because it's deer hunting season and it's starting to open across the country in, in droves. So I would say go to bigbuckregistry.com forward slash Facebook and check us out. If you'd like to have your buck featured on our Facebook page, all we need is a picture of you with your buck, your first name, and the state of kill. Those are the only requirements, and as long as it's a, a good, ethical, clean picture, uh, we'll get it on the Facebook page, and we'll notify you if you send it by email or if you send it by Facebook mail. We'll notify you when it's going up. It uh, at This time of year, things kind of get pretty busy. Right now, we're probably looking at a few days, but I can guarantee you by the end of October, It'll probably take several months before you'll see your picture on there. So get it in early if you want to. If you want to get that recognized in front of almost two hundred fifty thousand diehard deer hunting fans, you can also find us on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash Big Buck Registry to subscribe to this podcast. We're not just on iTunes. Uh, we are also on Stitcher. We're on iHeartRadio. And if you wanted to check out any of those places, you can go to bigbuckregistry.com forward slash iTunes. If you're an Apple user, you can go to bigbuckregistry.com forward slash Stitcher. If you're an Android user, you can go to iHeartRadio, bigbuckregistry.com forward slash iHeartRadio. We are officially there. We still got a couple of little kinks to work out. They put some weird nomenclature next to our name, something to do with religion, and I'm not quite sure what that's about. So we're going we're gonna to figure that out and, and get back to you. Um, but you can also find us on Google Play, and that's bigbuckregistry.com forward slash Google. And you can find us on Instagram, instagram.com forward slash bigbuckregistry. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, that's everywhere where we are hanging out. That's a whole lot of big buck, Jay. Certainly is. Thanks to all the, the friends and, and hunters that download us week after week, Jay. We really appreciate it. We really do. It's uh, it's humbling. I can't believe people want to listen to us talk, but the, the reality is we're bringing good quality deer hunting information to you each and every week. So that part I get. Uh, but just a, another amazing show. We're going to keep doing this as long as you keep downloading. I'm Jay Scott. And I'm Dusty Phillips. And this is the Big Buck Registry Deer Hunting Podcast powered by USA Trail Cams. We'll see you next week. Can't wait. Can't wait.